Witch hey. Hey, Witch Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You work this morning. Yeah. yeah. And you're having kind of a spooky weather day, but it's starting to clear up. Yeah, it was spooky this morning. It was like torrential downpour, but now the sun looks like it's trying to come out. So I don't know what's going on out there, but it was making me like feel all the feels. I had my like my hoodie on and like was feeling really spooky. <laughs> but I hate when it like starts to be nice at the end of the day because you've already gotten it in your head that you're going to be like cozy, relaxing and cozy and not do anything the rest of the day. Now it's nice out. Yeah. I gotta be productive. Kind of crept my style. It's all good though. All right. Let's get these notes going. How do we start this sucker off? Dude, I feel like we were <laughs> we were just here. Yeah. This week went by really fast or I just blacked out. But I feel like we just sat down to do roses. Yeah. But you I know? also feel like it's been a while. I don't know. It's weird. It's been a while. It's been a while. But today we're talking about Jet, Bridget Owens. Which in the movie they never say Bridget, right? They never say. I don't think so. Address her by Bridget. It's always just Jet. Such a badass name. I never knew her name was Bridget Mm -mm. until like I don't even know if in the first book do they address her as Bridget or just Jet. We'll find out. I'm pretty sure they do, but we're we're gonna get a refresher. Okay, yeah, because I feel like once I like reread the books, because like I read Practical Magic years ago, like around the same time I saw the movie, but. I don't remember. So mm-hmm. when I reread them to do this, I was like, oh, her name's Bridget. <laughs> and they like don't even say their names till the, like the very end of Practical Magic anyway right. in the book. Right. So it kind of like threw me for a loop. I was like, Bridget? Okay. Well, in case you guys don't want to sit around until the end of this episode, because I feel like it's going to be a little lengthy, maybe not as lengthy as The Rose, but I was really surprised that I forgot all of this information that came along with Jet. But if you don't stick around, I just want to let everybody know that Justina and I are going to be in Salem, Massachusetts, October the 11th through the 15th. If you want to come hang out with us, go on a little adventures with us. But we are also hosting a listener uh, meet and greet, a listener event where we're going to have some midnight margaritas. We have a location. We are going to have a few little goodies to give away, but that is going to be Friday, October 13th in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, Head to our Eventbrite link that is in our show notes. So you can sign up under there to get kind of, it's an e-ticket, but it's through a love donation, pay whatever you'd like. It's just so we can get a head count and let the venue know how many people are coming. So please join us for that if you can. And uh, we'll probably slip in maybe a little bit more information at the end of this episode if you're interested. So stick around, but we're going to talk about Jet today. And she is the middle child, right? Is she? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franny's the oldest, Vincent's the youngest. That's right. He is the middle child. And re-tapping into the Rules of Magic book, I've only read it maybe twice, maybe twice. Yeah. I see a lot of middle child syndrome stuff coming out in her. (laughs) Are you a middle child or are you the baby? I am. You're the middle child? Yes. You know what my mom always called me? She always called me a rose between two thorns because I have two brothers. Oh, that's cute. We just did our rose episode. That's cute. Or or Jan Brady as uh, my mom... Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Is my mom, I think my mom is, well, I guess there is no middle child because there's four of them. So it's like my uncle, then my aunt, then my mom, then my other uncle. 
Mm -hmm. So she's like the second to youngest, but I guess you can lump her into that yeah. middle child bracket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the older child. I don't have a third sibling. So if there was a middle child syndrome in my family, my brother would have gotten that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but just knowing what we know about Jet now, I guess when you were first watching Practical Magic, which one did you initially think? Which sister, which aunt did you think was the older one? I guess Franny, because she kind of commands that she has that like presence to her. Right. right. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Yeah. I think they did a good job of, because that's the way it's written in this, at least the second book is she is the older sister. I don't think they ever say in Practical Magic. Yeah. No. But the fact that they gave her these little tendencies, these little things she does that kind of elevate her, I think that's all I wanted to say about Jet. So this is going to be the completion of our four main women characters. We haven't done the younger girls yet, but we're also going to do separate episodes, right, about the actors who portray them. That's why we haven't gone too much in depth on Sandra, on Nicole Stockard. We did a little bit of Stockard, but we want to do like like inside the actor studio with Stockard Channing. You know, <laughs> same with Diane. I pronounce it Weist. I don't know. Yeah, how. Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce her last name. Diane Weist. I've heard yeah. Weist. I've heard Weist. <laughs> that reminds me of a ro that Rocky Horror song, Janet Weiss. Janet Weiss. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Her name is Weiss, right? Yeah. Janet Weiss. What's that song that he sings to her? Damn it, Janet. Yeah, but the other one that uh, Frankenfurter sings at her. Is it the one all the way at the end of the movie when they're like doing the thing in the high heels? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got to brush up on our Rocky Horror. Guys, there's going to be like a Rocky Horror event that weekend we're in Salem. I'm so stoked. It's going to be so a lot of fun. It's going to be fun. Good times. So we're talking about Jet today. We're going to go through the movie and the books as usual. And then after our break, we're going to do Jet's Myers-Briggs test on her behalf and see what her personality type is according to how we think she would answer the questions. Right. Yeah. And I also threw in a little bit of fan fiction down there too. <laughs> I saw that. Oh my goodness. I'll oh. take that in there. Yeah. That'll be exciting. Me and you've had a conversation about Jet before. Oh, yeah. Where we were like, you know, she has this like sweet persona, but we feel like there's something that could be a little darker about her. I'm not yeah. sure. Something, you know, a little too sweet, too perfect, mm -hmm. too good to be true. There's got to <laughs> be something, there's got to be some, some darkness there, something a little off. So I, put something into chat GPT later on. So we'll we'll have fun with that later. Awesome. Yeah, we'll go into like how we both kind of see her. I want to just say like on that line, I'm wondering if it's because in the books, uh, she's described as being so pretty. She's so beautiful. And like Franny kind of is kind of homely in comparison, I guess. A little more rough and around the edges. Right, right, right. And I feel like Jet is so smart and she matches that. And it says she's born in summer. I'm wondering if she's a Leo because like I'm wondering if she teams that okay. with her bubbliness. Where did, where did it say she was born in the summer? Uh, it was said, we we have it listed in here somewhere, okay. that um, it's a line by Franny that says next summer, Jet will be 15 or something like that. She's born in the summer. It doesn't say a month. Right. Yeah. I thought that was weird because it tells you Franny's birthday. Mm-hmm. And, and Vincent's. We know Vincent's birthday. His The date or just like the general... The date. We I think we have the date too. Okay. Yeah. I just thought it was weird how like Jet being one of the main, like one of the main sisters, we never know her actual birthday. Like we mm -hmm. know the general vicinity, but it's weird. But we do know her death date. Which we do. We'll get into because that's a little weird. But I'm saying that I'm wondering if she's pulling all that together to not not really manipulate, but get a little farther in life. Um, but it never says that she does that. I'm just thinking like she's the pretty sister. So naturally, she's going to be bubbly and try to be like, I don't know, have people like her in that fashion. 
Right. Should we get into her, I guess, her stats? <laughs> like what? <laughs> it's like a Pokemon. Yeah. Her stats. Uh, we can make trading cards. Oh, oh my god, we should make trading cards for all these bitches. <laughs> it's like, uh, what's that Magic the Gathering? They yeah. have like <laughs> a spell that they can... Remember that card game? We should, yeah, we should put all their like their magical uh, correspondences and properties, <laughs> on their magical powers on on the card. That would be cool. Yeah. Like a little uh, little Patreon extra bonus. <laughs> We're not doing that. Come on. Oh, <laughs> I will take. I will gladly take up that. If uh, you find a generator that could do it, I'm about it. <laughs> I don't want to do that from scratch. That sounds insane. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. <laughs> it would be really cute with our AI generated pictures we've done of them. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We have those. I mean, might as well use them for something. Yeah. All right. Give me the stats while I take a drink of water. All right. So Bridget, aka Jet Owens. Okay. She was born summer of 1945. Again, like we said before, we don't know the exact date, but estimating summertime. Uh, she died, however, March 21st, and I'm guessing 2021 because that's when Book of Magic was released, and that's the book that Jet died in, and that book was set in current times. So I'm guessing it's 2021 when she passed away. But funny enough, wasn't March 21st Franny's birthday? It was, and it was marked as an unlucky day. So Jet died on Franny's birthday? Yikes. Yikes. That's Ouch. so sad. Yeah, that whole scene yeah. is so sad. Like, Hard. we're going to get to it, but I included so much from Rules of uh, Book of Magic, just like the lead up yeah. to her death. And I'm like, I can't, I can't leave this stuff out. No. You know, so we'll go over yeah, it. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. All right. So March 21st, also Franny's birthday, also coined by Alice Hoffman as the most unlucky day of the year. Also, Ostara slash the Spring Equinox. And also, it's the same day that Franny sees that ad in the New York Times about Halen's engagement announcement to Emily Flood. And then also, <laughs> in Magic Lessons, Maria's story, The Origins, when she went into labor with Faith, it was March 20th, the day before March 21st, and she wanted the baby to be born before midnight because the 21st was known as the most unlucky day of the year and faith ended up being born eight minutes before midnight so she's oh my god faith was born the day before franny's birthday jet's death day isn't that crazy that's amazing yeah family tree holy holy shit all right (laughs) so that date i don't know for some reason alice honed in on that date and was like a lot of shit needs to happen on this date So March 21st, very strange. That's the day Jet dies. In the Rules of Magic, this is the siblings' story, Jet, Francis, Vincent. Around this time, Jet is between the ages of 15 is when I guess when the book starts to 25. I guess that's when the book ends. Mm-hmm. Um, then in Practical Magic, she's 87 Practical Magic. This was from Wiki. You and I did the math before. Okay. Like all the way back. So she was born in 57. Mm-hmm. Well, this says 45. Okay. I just copied and pasted. I didn't even check if it was right, girl. All right. Tell me the date. This date where it says born on 45. the file, this is summer 1945. 2021. Well, wouldn't it make more sense to see what date the Rules of Magic was established in and then what age she was when that book started and then do the subtraction from there? So if she was, if she died in 2021 and she was born in 1945, she would have been 76 when she died. Okay. So then in Practical Magic, she couldn't have been 87. Right. So change that. 
<laughs> whatever the math is. Yeah. I don't fucking know. And we talked about that when the girls come to Magnolia Street, we have it in here. Let's scroll down a little bit. It's in here by year. Okay. We're going to go all the way down to 1999. They say 1999 is when the girls came to Magnolia Street, right? Yeah. So how old would she have been? Let's see. 1999 minus 1945. 19, what did I say? 45? 1945? This says, yeah, this up here says 1945. She would have been 54. Okay. That makes a little more sense than 87. Yeah. She would have been 54 when the girls came to live with them. Okay. In Practical Magic. All right. And yeah, you guys listening, if our math is completely off, <laughs> let us know. Let us know your thoughts. How old do you think she was during, I guess, each one of these books? Because they kind of pinpoint different aspects or different times in her life. So it can get kind of confusing. But anyway, back to her stats. My brain is broken today, I swear. <laughs> You need more cold brew? I have my cold brew right here. Chug it. No, you know what it is? I think you're right. I think this, like, we threw this episode together so last minute that, like, I didn't really have time to, like, review. Make it feel ca casual. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about her status. At the time of Practical Magic, she's still alive. Book of Magic, she's still alive in the beginning, but then she passes away during that book. She's also known as Jet, or Jetty, as Francis likes to call her. And some of her physical qualities. So from the day she was born, Bridget had inky black tresses, which led to her being nicknamed Jet. While visiting her great Aunt Isabel in the summer of 1960, she came to possess a magical beauty causing many boys to fall in love with her. However, after a taxi accident on her 17th birthday, Jet's face was marred by a long scar. I don't remember hearing about a scar in Rules of Magic. Really? Mm -hmm. Her long dark hair was cut short in the midst of her grief. Later at the funeral of her younger brother Vincent, Jet's hair turned snow white and remained that way until her death. You know, I don't remember any of these like traits of hers like how they like describe her throughout different parts of her life mm -hmm. um it was a long span yeah it was and but i do remember the whole like all, all the boys fell in love with her i think even two boys got struck by lightning because they were trying to cross this like grassy knoll to like mm -hmm. get to her during a thunderstorm or whatever and yeah a lot Darwinism. of a lot of crazy stuff uh surrounding jet mm -hmm. her height is about five four in the film anyway and her hair color black later turned white in the book but in the film she's got more brown like mousy brown kind of hair yeah it's like lighter like a honey brown yeah yeah um her eye color is gray in the book as all the owens sisters and women have the gray eyes in the book but in the movie her eyes are diane weist blue yeah her skin color is fair. In the books, she's had a couple relationships. We know her first boyfriend was Levi Willard, the reverend's son, who ultimately ended up dying in that taxi accident. And then Rafael Correa, which was her lover, he was the hotel, the bellhop or the hotel guy or... Yeah. Yeah. You were reading before that she had like a lot of guys vying for her um and meeting their untimely death i was like wow she's really like close to maria in that sense yeah not that not maybe not book maria but like in the movie you're made to think that all of her lovers had wives on a hanging committee you know like <laughs> she had a lot of guys yeah she had them lined up yeah She's like, take a number, get in line. So Jet's got that special little magical something about her. And I think it's that she's maybe so pretty and so sweet that it's just like she lures them all in with her. Is she a Gemini? She's not flirting. She's just being nice. Well, if she has that other side to her, like we were talking about, maybe she is a Gemini. Maybe she's got that double kind of personality. You know, she's got a darker side to her and she's got the sweet side to her. Could be. 
So could be. Her occupation, as we know, she's a witch for hire. And then she's got some special powers and abilities. So from a young age, Jet possessed the ability to read the minds of others often without meaning to. And this was an ability that she was not particularly fond of, which she later lost after the death of her first love, Levi. And similar to her brother Vincent, Jet possesses a type of magical beauty that enchants young men. Her beauty comes into fruition during her visit to the Owens house in the summer of 1960, with her black hair and lips becoming notable marks of her great beauty. And as a teenager, many suitors tried to visit her on Magnolia Street until chased away by Vincent. <laughs> Four of these young men, which we said before, died as a result of the curse, with two dying from a bolt of lightning and two actually committing suicide. That's crazy. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine the guilt? Oh my god. So so two died of the lightning, two died of suicide, and then I one forgot of the su I forgot those other guys. Yeah, and then one dies from the taxi accident, and then she's just oh my, yeah. surrounded by all of this death. I guess her beauty, maybe wow. it's like it's like a siren kind of like luring a sailor to their death. I, I don't totally know. forgot about that yeah. wasn't even counting Levi and right. that and those numbers. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Five? Yeah, she's just, those Oof. numbers are just stacking up, so. If she's, you, uh, she outranked Sally. Yeah. What, Sally's on number four? Ian no, is. three. Ian's the third one? So, Michael, Gary, Ian. Ian's the third, right? Ian. Yeah. All right, so Jet's got a couple up on Sally. <laughs> Later in life, after receiving the sight once again, Jet found she was able to revive dying Flora. And do you remember how she received her sight back? I don't remember. Does it say later on? Can we talk about that? It does. I think we do go over it. Okay. And then um, I added a little bit here about some other symbolism revolving around Jet. I put daffodils because that was the right. one thing that stuck out to me reading the books. She loves daffodils. She's always kind of got daffodils. She's carrying them or she's just admiring them. They call her the daffodil lady. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the children. Some of the children in the town call her that because she's always carrying a bunch of the blooms. And they were her favorite flowers. She would always bring them to Levi's grave. And Jet saw that she had seven days to live the day that the daffodils bloomed mm. so i just thought that was really yeah. and they're one of the first ones to bloom in march aren't they yeah i think so or mm. snow snowdrops i think are the first things to bloom and those bloom i think january oh when's wow in, when's in bulk is that february january? first february so like the, the very beginning of february yeah okay yeah. so definitely but in march daffodils come out yeah okay sure. i think closer to the equinox that's everything about jet as far as basic information about her um, but now we're gonna get into i guess the character jet played by diane weist in the movie and you had some stuff that you wanted to share with us about jet yeah i think that we all come into this movie like with favorites right and before now, Jet to me was like backseat, kind of like she doesn't have a lot, even like Googling her. I'm like, what the hell can we find about her? Mm -hmm. All her information that we got today is from the books and or the little fandom wiki page. And that was about it because she, she did one interview with Bobby Wyant we'll talk about later. That's it. But she basically talked about the same shit that Griffin Dunn talked about. Mm -hmm. So like to me, after doing these notes, Jet doesn't really get enough credit. I know everyone 
everyone loves Franny and like, how couldn't you? But we, because we all want to feel like that, like sharp, quick-witted woman, like the the W-I-T-C-H, you know, woman in total control of herself. But like we talked about, Jet has, I think she's got this mystery about her. And though we know how her story, according to Alice, unfolds through the books and within the movie, she's portrayed very soft-spoken and demure. She's sweet and bubbly like we talked about. But I think Diane has this really amazing way of like face acting through the movie. And yes, Stalker Channing has this intimidating presence about her. But if you watch Diane's facial expressions throughout the movie, there's like this darkness behind her gaze. Like she can be stone cold, but you miss it because of all the other stuff that's going on or because Stalker just has the more unique features. Resting bitch face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, She's got some pretty intense emotions that are just reflected in her expressions. Just doing these notes, I kind of skipped through the movie and I was just going to the jet scenes and I was like, dang. Oh, dang. And I feel like she inevitably is the one who's urging Franny to do some of these things. Like, she's like the little whisper shit, like the, the Gemini thing. Like, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, She's urging Franny to do things like the midnight margaritas where Franny would probably be like, no, I just kind of want to sit and have my port and read my book and go to bed. And like, she just like, no, let's have some fun. Yeah. And I think in our Franny episode, we talked about how Jet would bring her to art galleries, albeit like with a little arm twisting. Do you remember talking about that like would she go to an art gal oh it was through the Myers-Briggs there was a question about whether Franny would go yeah yeah and we were like she would but I think just to make her sister happy Mm-hmm. And she's the one who's turning on the porch light to work her magic. And she's the one handling the money. And she's the one ha- getting the pin from the dove. And she's the one who has the idea to take the children to the solstice celebration. And she's the one who straight up says to Jillian, don't worry, dear. Whoever he was, he'll get what he deserves. I mean, she's got no issue with like the threefold law or karma. Right. Like, right. don't worry, honey. She's that friend. She's that scary friend who's like, <laughs> what's his name? I'll find him on Facebook. You know, what's it? What, whoever's friends? So me. Okay, I'll be back. Me, me basically. <laughs> I was like, I will find you. I will go down the Jersey Shore and I will find you just to <laughs> yell at What you. did you say? What did you say? <laughs> Yeah. 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 And if you listen closely in the Midnight Margarita scene when the tone kind of shifts, she's the one who starts singing, you are always on my mind. Mm -hmm. It's very quiet, but it it is her because when Franny starts singing with her, her voices, her tone is different, Um, which makes me think that like Jillian, she's more open maybe to the supernatural. Like she was kind of failing the Jimmy in that sense. Right. Um, Jet was the one who first pops up when Jillian smashes the bottle in the sink. Jet's the first one out of her chair and Franny kind of just stays quiet initially and Jet's like, what's going on here? Hmm? Like, what's going on? And you hear her raise her voice? Like, that was a surprise to me. Watching it back, I never noticed that she says, Sally, what's going on inside this house? Right. She's the one who says something's going on. I can smell it. And then Franny comes in. It's a distinct smell of bullshit. Right? I never noticed that. I Because you... I think we're, you're so wrapped up in the supernatural broom falling and all that stuff. And so when that broom does fall, Jet's the one to voice the superstition that company's coming. Okay. I did not realize how just essential Jet was until like doing these notes. So when the aunts aren't getting any answers from the girls, Jet looks, she's looking back and forth between the girls like, okay. Come on, girls, let's let's do this. But then Franny is the one who gets impatient and she's like, come on, Jetty, let's go. And then right. they fuck off, you know? I think that's the difference between Jet and Francis. Like, Francis, she will tell you to fuck off. If she doesn't have time for your bullshit, she's not dealing with you. You're right. She's not even dealing with you. 
because she's married. I think Jet, like she's sweet enough and she cares enough about the girls to kind of really, she's concerned. Like she wants to know what's going on. She wants to be able to help and lend her magic to the situation. But then ultimately Francis is like, no, if they're not going to fucking tell us, why should we even bother sticking around? Fuck that. Right. Let's go. Right, right, right. Let's go, Jet. And then she's kind of like, you're, you're right, Francis. So I think they kind of like, maybe they're, they're sister signs. Maybe they kind of need each other to kind of balance each other out, to keep each other in check. One has more of that intuitive, like, I know something's going on. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Whereas mm-hmm. the other one's like, yeah, you're right, but it's not our bullshit to deal with. So we need to. You're totally right. Like that's, I think without Franny, Jet would get walked over because she wants to give so much. Yeah. Now when she wants to get, she has too much patience almost. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think she has, um, what's the, there's a word, there's a term for that where you always kind of like want to help somebody, but to your own messiah complex. Oh, right? okay. Like okay. You want to, you, you, you're trying to save somebody to the point of where it's actually hurting you, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? Like a martyr. You're, you right. Know. Yeah. 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 Also empath. She's, she's got so much empathy and I think that's, kind of where it could take a, a nasty turn and she could ultimately get hurt if she didn't have Franny mm-hmm. on her other side like no let's not deal with this this is not our bullshit let's let's go and yeah. I think also that's like a middle child thing of always trying to play the mediator be in between in the worlds you know yes and so she's just trying to keep everybody safe everybody happy let's take mm-hmm. care of this um but also she knows she's not getting all the information which is why like Sally what's going on inside this house yeah yeah oh Jet Oh, shit. You know? Yeah, it's interesting because, like, we know her as the sweet one. But when her feathers are a little ruffled, like, that dark side comes out. Like She's Franny's sister. You know, she grew up seeing that fire. So she has it in her. She just knows how to keep it simmering, keep it smoldering until it's needed. Yeah. I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah. So then after all the drama happens with Jimmy and... Jillian is possessed and she licks Sally's face and she's like, I'm very into sisters right now. <laughs> and she, uh, Sally backhands her. The aunts come through the door, just the first one through the door. And she's the one to say, oh, dear, it seems we have not arrived in a nick of time. <laughs> so she's already like, like fucking Fran- Franny's in the dust. Like <laughs> she is also the one in the scene where they have Jillian tied to the chair. She's the one to say that Jimmy is squatting inside Jillian like a toad. And this is what comes from dabbling. You can't practice witchcraft while you look down your nose at it. And she, through the movie, seems like the disciplinary one, verbally at least. Yeah, it seems like Franny like disciplines, but only with the eyes. Like, right. oh, Franny only needs to give you that one death look and you're like, oh, God, I don't want to fuck with her. Like, but, but Jet is the one to definitely. Jet right. Which makes me think like one. communication, Gemini oh. might be there. Air sign. So if she is born in the summer, then that makes perfect sense. She's she got could be a June, June Gemini. You know? be a Gemini. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then Ooh, when. I just oh, thought of something. I just yeah. thought of something. This makes perfect sense. Okay. So if Franny was born March 21st on the equinox, what if Jet, if she was a summer baby, would it make sense if she was born on the solstice, which is why she's so like, oh, let's go to the solstice celebration. What if? But I don't think that's Gemini anymore. That's Cancer. No? Cancer? Too close to the solstice? I think so. I think it isn't Cancer the 21st and then All right. and then yeah. Leo. I'm just- And then Virgo. Something that popped into my brain, like it makes sense that Franny would be born, if she was born born March 21st. Then. She could be a Virgo too. She could be an end of August baby. I don't think she's a Virgo. You don't think so? Okay. No. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. No, I, de- I definitely think she's more closer to the solstice. It just, okay. in my brain, it makes sense that Franny was born on the equinox. Jet was born on the solstice. And that's why Jet is so gung-ho about the solstice celebration. Because that's, okay. that's her time to shine. <laughs> yeah. And she's pro-nudity. She's pro-sky clad. You know, that's awesome. There you go. It works. 
Yeah. So then continuing in the movie, when the coven of women come, I didn't even include this, but Jet's the one to be like, we need nine women and 12 is better. And then Franny's the one to be like, you have any friends? Like Jet's always the one like thinking of the putting the the spark in, the idea in. Yeah. Okay. And when they do end up showing up at the house, all the women are coming through the door and Jet is there to greet them saying, no, no, now's not the time to be shy, dear. And she's getting them all ready to go. And they're, you know, they're chatting about their special little synchronicities. And Margot Martindale is like, I swear I could hear my daughter had a nightmare and I could hear her cry across town or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then just Jet, Jet floats through the background. Like... <laughs> Just, it's so, sorry. It's so funny to me. She's just like passing, like a passing ship in the night. And she yeah. says, there's a little witch in all of us. Yeah. And then keeps going. So cute. Yeah. It is cute. In a passage from one of the books, it mentions something like what we just said, that maybe Vincent and Franny don't know their sister as well as they think they do. So Jet's presence, again, surprised me more than I initially realized. And many of us tend to envision ourselves, like I said, as Franny, this tough, loving, intimidating, witchy woman. We want to be that, you know, be that power. But there's something like about this quiet power that Jet has, you know, and and observing Jet's character in this movie, I gotta admit, like, I hope I see more of myself in her. Yeah, it's weird. Um, like she is quiet, but as you just pointed out, because I never noticed this before, she's the more outspoken one. She always initiates the dialogue or the conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. I never picked that out before. So that's I want really- people to be Team Jet. She's so important in this, and uh, she's one of the unsung heroes. So from an outsider's perspective, people like Jet and myself seem like the supporting roles and like the nice ones. You know, we kind of anticipate, we empathize, we try to smooth rough waters. We're the mediator a lot of times. But if you take a little closer look and you notice all those little actions that like we undertake to contribute to this bigger picture, you know, it's the behind the scenes choices and those like unspoken decisions, the whispers in the ears, the little nudges of the elbow, like these quiet, unassuming traits that support that greater being and ultimately hold like the sway in the dynamic. I feel like Jet could sway for Franny, you mm. know, like we talked about, like just going to an art gallery or yeah. having midnight margaritas. Yeah. So like other other characters like this, other unsung heroes like this are like Samwise Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings or Neville Longbottom of Harry Potter. Like they are quote unquote supporting characters, but they really steal the show mm-hmm. in their, I guess, unflappable support of the quote unquote main character. Right. I've also seen this relationship in I Love Gilmore Girls, like Rory Gilmore, one of the main characters and Paris Geller, one of the supporting characters. A line Rory says when she's running and she wins vice president of the student body and Paris wins president. Somebody asks her if she, you know, they say in passing like, oh, you're going to be ruling the country one day. And Rory says, no, Paris will be ruling the country and I will be holding her keys. (laughs) They just have this easy way of not forcing a hand. Just gently guiding the hand in that direction. And I like that. I think that's cool. Yeah. Jet's a very special, special character. He is. And I hope more people are team Jet. I love Jet. When I first saw Practical Magic, I was always like, Oh, it's the Edward Scissorhands lady. Right. <laughs> she's so, even just the way she smiles, her eyes are just always smiling. She's always smiling. You know? Avon calling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. So as we know, uh, Jet Owens is played by Diane Weist in the Practical Magic movie. She was only 49 at the time. 
of the filming and that's crazy because i will be 49 in a short nine years oh okay so where are you going with this you've got plenty of time nine years goes by like that but just think about how much we did in just this year we're gonna have so many adventures i know you're right you're right you're the um franny to my jet or you're the jet to my franny that's right we're gonna oh the unsung heroes i forgot kyle gas kyle gas (laughs) put him in there that's right kg it's me and kg that's right (laughs) there's always in a duo right one's mm-hmm. the leader and then the other one kind of just goes along and is like all right but i'm yeah. really the one who like you said holds the keys don't think i'm saying that in our relationship i think that I we're kind of even in this that we're both like hey you wanna yeah okay we'll go yeah, yeah yeah no we're pretty we're pretty equal there but you are you are the one that's like just do it just do it you want a <laughs> tattoo you want to dye your hair just do it do it you were only here this one time as we know it you know you're, you're just do it right absolutely right so we're gonna talk about uh griffin dunn and his a little bit of his commentary about diane and the character jet uh so he says that if franny is the salt then jet is the sugar i Mm -hmm. love that I love that. Super sugary. Yeah. So Griffin says in the commentary, I knew Stockard and Diane. They were both actresses that I'd had known in New York over the many years. I had actually acted in a TV movie with Diane in Poland in 1982 during the shipyard strike. And we were almost stuck there. And when the country went into martial law and we were there for a long time, you get to know somebody in those circumstances pretty well. And when you're on a distant location and you never knew in the 1980s, the years are going to go by and you'll actually be directing them in a movie. So he says, Diane was my first choice when I was looking for a jet. And she said yes right away, which I was thrilled about. And Stockard was about to come by. I assumed that they would know each other, and they actually had, but I assumed that they, both being from New York, they would have worked together at some point. They never had, though. So they were really intrigued by the idea of working with each other. I'm glad that you're taking Griffin, because this is transcribed from the commentary, and he's hard to read. (laughs) You're doing great. All right. It might take me a minute to get, like, the cadence and, like, how he talks, but yeah, he's completely just like, blah, 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 like spitfire. Um, So he also goes on to say, here are these two extraordinary women who brought something to the movie, I think, which was very much needed with the kind of theatrical history, you know, the New York stage and their austere quality that they can play with and be silly. At the same time, you know, be lighthearted and be able to hit the door. And they kind of brought a certain kind of Broadway theatrical royalty with them as well. So it gave the film you know some weight some historical weight family historical weight just by the amount of work that they brought and that they had done in their past and brought to this project they aren't really that old he wanted them to play the on somewhere between 100 years old and 103 interesting yeah okay so he wanted them to play like a hundred plus year old women so i guess he was trying to give them some kind of like immortal quality right Right. right. He wanted like, there to be a question. So he gets that they aren't really old, but he wanted them to play the aunts that were somewhere between 100 and 103. But they look really good. Yeah. For- for their age. So Griffin says we didn't really go to the makeup room too much. I mean, they had wigs and some pretty extreme costumes, but early on, we never wanted to I don't know. Oh, okay. So we never wanted to put, I guess, like lines on their face to make them look older. They both have beautiful skin, Griffin says, and we did not want to age them. We wanted them to be their own kind of sense of beauty coming through and have it just be a matter of they just happen to be 103 or 104 and you never really know 
know with the two of them and the two of them just milk every single moment in their deliveries of their lines and they're just so dead on and Griffin says I loved seeing how delighted the audience is at their arrival and they don't waste a moment of this film I love that so I love that he was trying to kind of preserve their beautiful qualities and just this natural beauty that they were at the ages that they were when they I were love that the aunts in the film but like giving them that little sense of mystery like are they 103 are they dressed in this Victorian clothing how long have they been on this earth like what's yeah. their story like you know I wonder if uh Denise Denovi had a little hand in that like as a woman uh-huh. Like to give them that more mysterious quality. Like, no, don't you don't need to add those extra wrinkles. Like, look at their beautiful laugh lines they have right now. Like, yeah. focus on their beautiful skin and the cool right. costumes, the crazy hair. Yeah. I hope she had a hand in it. Yeah, I'm sure she did. She seemed very hands-on in the entire thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about what Sandra Bullock says about Diane. So she says, Diane is just so natural. You have no idea she's working. She's just an incredibly free and gentle spirit, which I love being around. She ha- And she has a wicked sense of humor too. Wicked. It's funny that she says, like, you know, you have no idea she's working. It seemed like she really is a, like that free and gentle spirit. So she, it didn't seem like she had to act much while right. playing Jet, right? It's just genuine. Seems, yeah, genuine. So Diane actually says in a 1998 interview with Bobby Wygant, she says, I love her talking about her character playing Jet. And it was such a pleasure to finally play a witch. Finally. It's such a fantasy from childhood to have that power and instant justice in the world and be able to fly. I wanted to fly in the worst way when I was a kid, you know to fly like Peter Pan, but this is fine. (laughs) And then Bobby mentioned speaking with Griffin Dunn about the flying and the harnesses used and Diane commented saying, oh yes, the harnesses and the flying equipment was not enjoyable at all. And it really does start to hurt after you've been in it a couple of hours. But when you first put it on and they take you up and you sort of soar around, it's really exhilarating. So Bobby asks about the cutting room floor flying scenes, and in the end, Griffin wanted the women to float down rather than fly. Diane replies, That was kind of the real scary part, the part where we were on the roof, because we were all up on a very tall house, and we're supposed to pretend to jump off, and there were no harnesses there during that recording. If you tripped, you were a goner. (laughs) And Stockard was very good to me through that, because I would look at her, and we held hands before we, quote, jumped off, all six of us, I look at her and she'd just say, it's okay, it's okay, you're okay. Being up on the roof was was absolutely terrifying, but flying in harnesses was fine. We were absolutely safe. It's just crazy what they put actors through to just like film these scenes, Mm -hmm. you know? Because sometimes like even though an actor or actress is not using a stunt person, they're still put in very compromising situations. Sure, absolutely. If you think about going back to Titanic, when Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio had to film those water scenes and just get hypothermia or something i don't remember but like having to go underwater and like holding your breath for a certain period of time to like scarlett johansson almost die from that like magic magician movie where she was in a tank of water oh no that was isla fisher oh yeah yeah but yeah she also very dangerous situations actors are put in all the time um so going on with the bobby wygant interview to wrap this up bobby asks if it's hard to see most of the four days of harness work end up on the cutting room floor oh you're right because they didn't even like end up using half of that Mm -hmm. um most people do not know that part of making a movie diane says you know it's such a long way between the cup and the lip as it were in making a film between what you imagine when you read the page it's seldom to what you come to shoot when you finally do a year later and what you see on the screen it's a very arduous process and it's no pun intended a shot in the dark so yeah that's what diane had to say about filming the movie i like jet 
I have not watched. Like I said, this was the first time I turned Practical Magic on to take some notes. No, that's a lie. Rose's was. And I didn't even notice like the conversation that I wish for you two conversation starts with Gary actually sitting on that patio. He's sitting down. I never noticed he was sitting down on the patio under the roses looking at the moon. Yeah. And they have like a whole like three minute conversation. He's sitting down most of the time. Never, <laughs> never even noticed. <laughs> like the things that you you uh, notice when you go back and like really pay attention, right? Dude, the minute so we both of- watch this from beginning to end, it's got to be recorded. We're going to be pausing and yeah. we're going to yeah. do a whole uh, like we did with the Sudbury episode. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fascinating. Yeah. I'm sure we'll even, you know, come up with more stuff that we'd never noticed before. It's crazy how many times we've seen this collectively, but like we keep picking out things that we've never noticed before. Yeah. And our views keep changing about the characters too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's just yeah. fascinating. We're going to start with the books. We're going to start with Rules of Magic because that's just kind of where Jet's life starts and we learn the most about her role in this story is huge. Huge. So we're going to start there and go chronologically. Rules of magic, practical magic, then book of magic, because she's not in magic lessons at all. Right. All right. All right. So Bridget Jett Owens was born the summer of 1945 in New York to James Burke and Susanna Owens. Like her siblings, she knew she possessed something that made her different from everybody else and often defied her mother's strict rules to test her capabilities. At school, she was often picked on by other girls for her demure nature. So in 1960, Jett and Vincent accompany Franny, their older sister, when she's invited to stay at their Aunt Isabel's for the summer after having turned 17. Jett grew to love Magnolia Street and enjoyed taking care of the garden, intrigued by the story of their cousin Maggie, who was turned into a rabbit. She also found a black kitten and cared for it, named it Wren. It was also there that her beauty grew to fruition, similar that to Vincent's. A number of local boys came to Magnolia Street in the attempts to woo her. They were often driven off by Vincent. Four boys died, vying for her attention as their attraction to Jet instigated the curse to being struck by lightning while out with Jet and Franny and to committing suicide. There was a study guide also online that had some notable quotes or important quotes that kind of expanded on it. So in regard to the boys being struck by lightning, this is on page 62. The quote is, the sisters were at the edge of the pond when lightning struck, but even before the incandescent bolts illuminated the sky, Franny could smell sulfur. The boys were hit in an instant. They stumbled as if shot, then fell shuddering to the ground. Blue smoke arose from their fallen bodies. And the passage that they included was that the dramatic nature of the death of the boys, Francis and Jet, they don't date them, but it says date in Massachusetts, illustrates the power of the curse that is affecting this Owens family. And the elemental components of lightning, the sulfur smell, and the blue smoke create a pathetic fallacy and make it seem as though the boys have been struck down by this evil spell. This ought to be warning enough for the girls to not get involved with anybody else. But also, is it the curse or is it you are the tallest thing in an open field? during a lightning storm, you know? Right. But that doesn't explain the two suicides and then the right. taxi death with Levi. Like it, like, it just seems one thing happening after another with her. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. This momentarily shook Jet until she met Levi Willard. I think she was attending the two boys' funerals. Yes, you're right. Levi just so happened to be there. Yep. So Levi Willard, who was the son of the town's reverend, they instantly had an attraction for each other as he walked her home from the boys' funeral. They bonded over their parents' strict rules. Levi stated how much he wanted to visit New York, to which Jet invited him to come so she could show him around because 
she's from New York. Despite experiencing how real the curse was, she was determined to see Levi again. We got to remember too, like she's really young. She's mm-hmm. still, she's about 15, 16. Yep. With the end of the summer, Jet and her siblings returned to New York, having drunk the courage tea, you know, they have the courage versus caution tea given by Isabel. She continued to correspond with Levi, eventually going behind her family's back to meet up with him in the city. They walked around town all night, visiting popular locations and only departed early Early the next morning when they realize how late they were up. Upon returning home, Jet runs into her siblings in the hallway who are about to go looking for her. She confesses to them that she's been with Levi all night, defending her attraction to him. When their mother Susanna appears, she demands to know where her daughter has been and Jet tells her that she's seeing a boy named Levi Willard and the mother slaps her, hearing the last name of this boy, forbidding her to ever see him again nor love anyone, basically. I don't know if it's written here, but we come to find out that the Willard family is heavily tied. They're like arch nemesis, you know, of the Owens family because they're linked, right, by blood somehow, distant relatives of Hathorne. Yeah, the Willards are the Hathorne side, right? Right, right, right. Right. Um, So it's very um, Romeo and Juliet. Very. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally. I didn't even pull that out. (laughs) It says, despite the harsh blow given by Susanna, Jep kept seeing Levi, including an incident where she met him at the Bethesda fountain, giving him the scarlet letter, a book, as a present. However, they left forgetting the book by the fountain where the reverend then found it as he was following his son at the time. So he wrote a threat in the book, and I think it was the passage from the Bible. It's like, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, basically. Um, and he mailed that book back to her. That's that's shady. <laughs> that's really yeah, shitty. That is. And then Levi was forced to stay within the town's perimeters by his father. Reverend Willard didn't want his son seeing this young Owens girl. But Jet didn't falter from the separation or the warning. Instead, she asked Vincent to deliver a letter to Levi by joining their school's band concert north of Boston. Levi received the letter and became more cautious about his lies to escape to New York. I think then they start putting little plans together. Right. Yeah, but the lengths the lengths you go to when you're younger to oh like Oh my god. to keep a romance a forbidden romance <laughs> going, right? Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. Like I just don't have the energy for it anymore. <laughs> Good thing you're married. Oh, right. Man. Like, dude, fuck my life if I were single and I were dating. Like, I just don't have the energy for, like, swipe left, swipe right, swipe. Like, these, like, dating apps. Yeah. I was wifey'd up before those were ever invented. (laughs) So I'm fine with that. I know. Dating now seems real hard. Sounds like a headache. Real dangerous, too. Oh, God. Right? So we're going to talk about 1961 now. So this was the spring of the following year, and Jet became jealous of Franny's acceptance to Radcliffe, seeing it as her sister escaping their parents while she was stuck there to defend herself from them. And her bitterness motivated her to wish that Franny would never leave for college. But upon seeing how happy everybody was, she tried to will the wish back, but it was too late. And we kind of see that a little later later on like down the line when we fast forward to jump backward to Maria's origin story about the curse and like once you inflict that curse or unleash that spell like you're gonna have to unfortunately live with those consequences there is no taking that back 
everything's in motion. Right, exactly. Yep. So months later, on Jet's 17th birthday, her parents treated her to tickets to a Broadway show and dinner at the Russian Tea Room. Despite their doting, Jet insisted on attending a sleepover at a classmate's house that night, though it was actually her and Levi spending a night at a hotel. She managed to get past their questioning and took a cab to the Plaza Hotel where Levi was waiting for her. But before they could go to the hotel, Susanna and James appeared in their own taxi, having followed their daughter there upon Upon hearing her give the driver the wrong address. They chased Jet and Levi down the street, yelling after her, until the taxi slipped under an unseen puddle of oil, causing the vehicle to swerve and crash into Levi, killing him and her parents almost instantly. His last word was Jet's name. Jet survived, but with a gash around her face and some broken ribs. So some important quotes from the study guide. It says, just across from the Plaza Hotel, the taxi skidded out of control. Birds in the trees took flight and filled the ember sky. Levi leapt in front of Jet as the taxi came barreling onto the sidewalk. Time slowed so that she could see his eyes dilate when he realized what was happening. It was so very slow, they might have been caught in a glass jar. And that was from page 120. So the moments that prefigure Levi's death seem to be in slow motion for both him and Jet. This torturous delay creates suspense and allows them to recognize that the Owens curse seems to be in action. The imagery of seeing his eyes dilate and being caught in a glass jar signifies entrapment and no way to escape from fate. The filling of the sky with birds indicates an omen from the natural world and creates pathetic fallacy for the tragedy that will follow. Um, this is a quote from pages 124 to 125. This says, She was in a small private room, her black hair streaming onto the white pillow. Her face and arms were bruised and bandaged, and there was a gash on her face that had been closed, with 30 neat stitches. Her eyes were rimmed red. It was her birthday, her night, her parents, her beloved. Guilt was curling around her heart with tendrils of self-hatred. In one instant, she had lost everything. Franny came to sit on the edge of the bed. There was nothing any of us could do to stop it. You can't blame yourself, Jetty. It was an accident. Jet leaned into the soft pillow. She was doomed to lose everything, even her gift of sight. When they'd first brought her into the hospital, she could hear the patient's jumbled thoughts. Hearts that beat, stopped with a shudder, men who were racked with pain. Then all at once, she couldn't hear a thing. Wow. On page 127, it says there was no way to hide the wound on Jet's face though Franny tried with some powder from one of their mother's gold compacts. It looked as though blue flowers had been stamped on Jet's skin. Even when it healed, a jagged line would run down one side of her face. The intensity and permanence of Jet's scar is a metaphor for her inability to get over Levi, who was her one true love. While Jet feels that she has been rightly disfigured by the scar, which is a representation of her guilt for falling in love with Levi in the first place, the image of blue flowers is an attractive one and indicates the promise of something beautiful to come from her suffering. Mm. Yeah. Kind of badass, though, to have, like, a the big scar. face. Yeah. Do you have anything to add to that whole passage? Any thoughts? I just can't imagine her grief. And I'm wondering if, because upon entering the hospital, she could still hear all the jumbled thoughts and everything, but I guess yeah. you're not, she could be concussed, you know, and finally right. coming to and realizing and somebody delivering the news that her parents too are gone right um do you think her grief shadowed her sight or do you think mentally she was like i don't deserve this sight anymore because probably a little bit because of, both. of this yeah yeah i mean if we think about how sally reacted when michael dies she kind of just like 
shuns away her own powers too right right mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you go through something so traumatic either you're not yourself or you like don't want to you don't want to come face to face with the harsh reality so you kind of just like put everything in a drawer you don't really prioritize those things anymore and it's kind of just like tunnel vision just trying to get through the day by day trying to get through the grief and mm -hmm. just trying to process all that so i'm sure the grief had a lot to do with why she ultimately ended up losing her powers for a while yeah the passage of it says that it looked as though blue flowers had been stamped on jet skin is really similar to when jillian shows up to town in the practical magic book where the bruises on her arm look like i think she says purple butterflies oh okay so I just thought that was a cool little Yeah, that connection. is cool. I never I didn't pick that out, but that's that's a really cool, I guess, comparison between yeah. the two and Alice's description of how she describes bruises is just like Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. All right. So a little bit more about Jet's grief. Uh, so Jet became grief-stricken after the incident, having lost both the love of her life and her parents because of her. The trauma caused her to lose her gift of sight, preventing her from ever reading another's mind. A ghost of her former self, she became withdrawn and sobbed whenever nobody was around. Isabel took her in and her siblings for her parents' funeral at the family cemetery, where Jet attempted to act normal upon reuniting with April and meeting her infant daughter, Regina. Knowing that Levi's funeral happened the same day, she was desperate to visit his grave, sneaking out of the house and catching a taxi. Isabel followed her to the vehicle and together they rode over to the town cemetery. There they met the reverend, who was also inconsolable due to his son's death. He calmed down, however, upon seeing Jet collapse to the ground from her grief, taking over at seeing Levi's tombstone, and helps Isabel carry her back to the taxi. They drive to the reverend's house, first to drop him off before going back to the Owens house. The siblings return to New York, where Jet spends most of her time in her room to cry over the tragedy she brought forth. Eventually, she cut her hair short, threw out all of her black clothes, and dropped out of high school. Isabel sent Wren to their house to help cheer her up. The young cat made Jet feel a little bit better, but did not cure her grief. And this is on pages 125 to 126. This says, Jet was thin and pale. She turned away from her aunt, tied up with guilt and grief. Isabel knew right away that her niece had lost the sight, for her eyes were a dull dove gray without light or life. Um, and then eventually Franny decided it was time to move as their money was too low to keep up with the childhood home. Uh, right, because when their parents passed away in the taxi accident, Franny kind of had to become the parent and kind of do the finances and the house upkeep. And after a while, they just couldn't do it anymore. So uh, Jed accepted this, but wasn't happy when she found out that Franny declined her acceptance to Radcliffe in order to take care of their younger siblings, thus fulfilling Jet's dark wish. So that probably also made her feel so guilty, right? This poor kid. She's she's only like 15 years old. Right. But I mean, I, she's learning very early on that wishes have consequences. Mm -hmm. Like you can wish for something, it might not come true in the most positive light. Right. So um, packing her mother's china and clothes, Jet and her siblings moved downtown to an abandoned store where they set up their own business selling potions and herbs. She excelled as a worker there but often broke down around her siblings as they still had the sight and she did not, which reminded her of the accident. Mm, that's so, so sad. So yeah, so that's a little bit more about Jet and her grief. The following year, 1962, on Easter Sunday, Jet took a walk around Central Park, finding a hippie gathering in a meadow. There, she took acid and began going on a trip. What episode did we talk about this acid? I think it was tattoos. The blue star 
Mm. LSD tattoos. Jay, go listen to our tattoo episode. (laughs) So she took acid and began going on a trip where time passed faster than she could comprehend. And she wandered around until finding the alchemy tree where she believed she saw Levi. Realizing he was never there, she attempted to drown herself in the river, but was unable to due to her being a witch and physiologically preventing her from sinking underwater. She returned to their Greenwich Village house where Franny confronted her about her suicide attempt. This isn't her first time either, this poor thing. Yeah. Actually, this might be her first time. We'll get there. But she made a promise not to do it again, though Jet was already planning on a way that she could successfully drown herself. Gathering the necessary items to drown herself, Jet returned to the Plaza Hotel, wanting to do it in the room that she was supposed to share with Levi that fateful night. She is like OG goth to me. <laughs> She's, I don't know. I'm just getting that vibe. OG emo chick. Yeah. Yeah. This is heavy. Uh, a bellman she encountered earlier knocked on the door, having pieced together what she was about to do and couldn't live with the knowledge that he would have allowed her to do it. She sobbed, explaining her story to him. Introducing himself as Raphael, he shared that he also didn't want to fall in love again, having grown up with a struggling single mother. Jet, seeing a new opportunity, asked him to sleep with her so that she could fulfill her original goal with Levi. Weird scene. Yeah. He agrees and tells her to keep her eyes open so that she can see him as Raphael and not Levi. They make love and Jet finally gets some comfort over losing Levi. She thanks Raphael and tells him that they will never see each other again. She returns the next morning to Franny, who is upset that Jet wasted the money at the Plaza Hotel while they were struggling just to maintain their store. Jet only smiles, saying it was worth it. Despite this, the two continue, her and Raphael, they continue to see each other. He feels this responsibility for her, basically saving her life. This is very Samuel and Maria. Yeah, definitely seeing parallels there. Yeah. So Jet spends the next few days working at their family store, engaging with the customers and giving free advice. She also is reunited with April and Regina in 1966. All right. Between 1967 and 1968, I guess between this time, she feels like she recovered mostly from her grief. But she still visited Isabel and Levi's grave often. So I guess by this point, Aunt Isabel had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, One moment included laying beside his grave when the reverend appeared, causing her to flee to the Owens house. However, about a year later, she finally conversed with the Reverend, visiting his house where they cried together over the loss of Levi. And I guess from that kind of established their new found friendship, right? And finally, the Reverend was able to kind of turn around and not be a douchewad anymore. And they both kind of like shared this weird understanding and were able to have this empathy for one another rather than just like continuing to be at odds and just like fighting with one another. Because at the end of the day, they realized that they both lost somebody, you know? Yeah. So 1969, Jet and Vincent received a call from Franny, who was at the Owens house with Isabel. Okay, that's... Dying Isabel? Yeah, yeah so what yeah. was up here? Yeah, because up here, it says between 1967 and 1968, it said Isabel died up here. And then down here... Oh, it maybe said, it meant visited Isabel oh, okay, at the so house Isabel, and Levi's grave. Got it. So between 1967 and 1968, Isabel was still alive and Jet would visit Isabel and also Levi's grave. Okay, so then 1969, Aunt Isabel was dying... At at this point. So both Jet and Vincent, uh, they immediately traveled and helped, I guess, Franny take care of Isabel in her final days. 
Jet reminded Franny that she was Isabel's favorite and deserved to be the heir to the house and its belongings. However, after Isabel passed, the sisters decided to leave town, locking up the house with no intention of returning. Later that winter, Jet and Franny learned that Vincent was the first ticket drawn in the deployment to Vietnam. Both sisters knew that he would suffer if he hurt anyone over there, so they decided to give him a small dose of wolfsbane. It was a wolfsbane? Mm-hmm. To make it appear that he had asthma. Dude, that's nuts. If you even touch Wolfsbane, you, you're dead. Are you, you sure, sure Owens Wolfsbane? women? Are you sure it was Wolfsbane? Uh, taking him to the center for inspection, they waited for him until it became clear that Vincent was gone. A letter arrived a week later explaining that he had been taken to a mental hospital after his physical exam came out clean, showing he had been lying about the asthma and him declaring that he was a homosexual and a wizard so he couldn't fight. <laughs> so she, Franny, and William devised a plan for him to escape with William's ticket and passport to Germany, which went without a hitch. They were, however, unable to make contact with him in fear that it would lead to the government finding him. Levi's grave was in a newer section beyond a huge field of grass, and she, talking about Jet, set the daffodils in front of the simple stone that had been placed in the ground. He had been 18, barely a life. Suddenly exhausted, Jet lay down on the grass beside him. She still wore the ring Levi had given her, even though the moment when he told her to close her eyes so he could give her this birthday gift felt so far away. They had likely been together 20 times, an entire world created in just days, and that was on page 226. Although Jet and Levi only met 20 times, her attachment to him resembles that of a mournful widow. The image of a world created in just days evokes God's creation of the world and indicates the extent to which Levi changed Jet's life. Her continuing to wear the ring that he gave her is a symbol of eternity and indicates that she will never fully open herself up to love again, despite the increasing distance between the present and the time that she last saw Levi. And Jet's lifelong devotion gives weight to the curse. <sighs> yeah. That's so intense. Like, it is. And like teenage love, like she she does act like a widow, like a mourning widow after that. Yeah. And this it's just so unfair to Raphael. I know. All right. Let us go to the 1970s. A year after Vincent fled, Jet and Franny received news by Madame Durant that Vincent had died in France. <laughs> the sisters and William, who was Vincent's lover, flew over to attend his funeral, only for William to disappear after, revealing that Vincent faked his death to be free from being caught by the military because he abandoned ship. What's it called? AWOL. He went AWOL mm -hmm. um, and spent the rest of his days with William. Unlike Franny, Jet understood why her younger brother planned this and did not go looking for him. After returning to her hotel room, she saw that her hair had turned white during the funeral. Once she returned to New York with Franny, Jet agreed it was time to close their store and move to the Owens house as it no longer felt like home without Vincent. Selling their shop and apartment, they moved to their ancestral home and worked alongside each other as the Owens witches, selling spells for the local women. In this quote from the study guide says, it's from page 321. Jet stood up holding the rosemary. It was wilted brown, but as she watched, it became green in her hands. Her gray eyes rimmed with tears. What she had lost had returned. When two girls passed by the fence, she knew what they were thinking, although she was too well-mannered to ever tell. She had the sight once more. So the sight that Jet has lost owing to the trauma of losing Levi and her parents returns to her many years later. And it's a sign that she is finally ready to let go of the past and has finally resumed the ownership of her life. 
This is conveyed through the miracle of the wilting rosemary becoming fresh and green in her hands. And it's another symbol of regeneration. Oh, yeah. like that. that reminds me of like, because rosemary is, uh, it's supposed to regenerate your hair follicles. So oh, I thought you were going to say new beginnings. That's what I always use it for is like starting over. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a symbolic sense, yes. But it right, also but you're right. is great for regenerating new hair follicles and it's great for, for growing your hair back, I've heard. Oh, so, you're right. But her hair stayed white, right? Her hair stayed white at that point? I think so. Okay. All right. So between 1971 and 1998, Jet became happier living in the Owens house, frequently spending time with the Reverend as close friends. She also met up with Raphael as occasional lovers, but turned down his proposal, saying that marriage was not for her. Jet was even a bridesmaid for Franny and Halen's wedding, wearing a beautiful green dress. And then in 1999, after Halen's death, Jet comforted her sister as she mourned, claiming that she could not love anyone else. At that moment, the sisters receive a call from a four-year-old Sally telling them that their parents had died and she and her younger sister Jillian were going to stay with them. Franny and Jet picked the girls up at the airport in Boston, assuming Logan, mm -hmm. <laughs> taking them home to the Owens house. Jet took an instant liking to Jillian, seeing how similar the young girl was to herself as a child. I thought it was Sally that she was like, oh, look, she has a connection with birds. Or was it Franny that saw that? Because Franny had the connection with the birds, right? That one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's it for rules of magic. And now we're going to get into practical magic, which right. is when Jillian and Sally were older. So again, just like with the Franny episode, they're really just called the aunts through most of the book and it's not until page 258-ish that they we even learn their names. So mm -hmm. it says she, talking about Jillian, always thought of them together, a unit. And now she sees that Aunt Frances is nearly six inches taller than her sister. And their Aunt Bridget, whom they've always called Aunt Jet, is actually cheerful and plump, like a little hen dressed up in black skirts and boots. Page 261 to 262, Aunt Jet comes over and links her arms through Sally's. During the summer that Jet turned 16, two local boys killed themselves for her love one tied so okay there's like a little deviation here because this came out first but one tied iron bars to his ankles and drowned himself in a quarry that could be that first suicide another was done in on the train tracks outside of town by the 1002 to boston that could be the second one okay. of all the owens women jet owens was the most beautiful and she was never noticed she preferred cats to human beings and turned down every offer from men who fell in love with her. The only one she ever cared for was that boy who was hit by lightning when he and his brother went tearing off across the town green to prove how brave and daring they were. Sometimes late at night, Jet and Francis both hear the sound of those boys laughing as they run through the rain, then stumble into darkness. Their voices are still young and filled with expectation, exactly how they sounded at the moment they were struck down. Lately, Aunt Jet has to carry a black cane that has a carved raven's head. She's bent over with arthritis, but she never complains about the way her back feels when she unlaces her boots at the end of the day. Each morning she washes with the black soap she and Francis mix up twice a year and her complexion is close to perfect. She works in her garden and can remember the Latin name of every plant that grows there, but not a day goes by when she doesn't think about the boy she loved. Not a moment passes that she doesn't wish that time were a movable entity and that she could go backwards and kiss that boy again. All right, page 270. The storm is rattling the window panes and the thunder is so near that it can shake the ground. One big flash of lightning and half of the neighborhood has lost its electricity. In houses all along the street, people are searching for flashlights and hurricane candles or just giving up and going to sleep. 
That's good luck. Andrette says when their electricity goes as well, we'll be the light in the darkness. Find a candle, Sally suggests. Kylie gets a candle from the shelf near the sink. When she passes the stove, she holds her nose closed with her fingers. Boy, does that stink, she says to the aunt's mixture. It's supposed to. Jet says, pleased. It always does, her sister agrees. Kylie returns and places the candle in the center of the table, then light it so that they can go on with their supper, which is interrupted by the doorbell. It better but <laughs> it better not be that delivery boy back for more, Francis says now. <laughs> I'll give him a piece of my mind. That's funny. And this is 273. And this is after Ben comes to the house. Uh, he meets the aunts for the first time. It's time, Aunt Francis says. We have family business to discuss, Jet tells Ben as she leads him to the door. Aunt Jet's voice is always sweet, yet the tone isn't one someone would dare to disobey. Ben grabs his rain slicker and waves to Jillian. I'll call you in the morning, he declares. I'll come over for breakfast. Don't screw this one up, Aunt Jet tells Jillian after she closes the door behind Ben. I won't, Jillian assures her as well. Page 274. Bring the pot around back, Aunt Jet tells Kylie and Antonia. The candles in the center of the table cast a circle of wavery light. Aunt Jet takes Jillian's hand in her own. We have to see to this now. You don't put off dealing with a ghost. What do you mean a ghost? Jillian says. We want to make certain the body stays buried. Fine, Aunt Frances says, if that's how you want to look at it. And then 281, the aunts usually have a boiled chicken delivered from the market on Thanksgiving Day. One year they made do with frozen turkey dinners, and another year they said to hell with the whole silly holiday and had a nice pot roast. They were thinking of doing up another roast this year, when the girls all insisted on coming to visit for the holiday. Oh, let them cook, Jet tells her sister, who can't stand the clinking and clanking of pots and pans. They're having fun. <laughs> that, yeah, so that last line there, that kind of like rings true with what you were saying before, like, Jet's the one that wanted the midnight margaritas. Oh, Jet's yeah. Jet's the one that wants to have all the fun. And Franny's like, I can't be bothered. I just want to... <laughs> Yeah. She's so irritated by every little thing. I know. She's irritated by a good time. And Jet's like, well, don't threaten me with one. Like, <laughs> Jet Owens, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so on to Book of Magic. And this is the sad, I guess, conclusion to Jet's life, right? So if this says, uh, page three, some stories begin at the beginning and others begin at the end, but all the best stories begin in a library. It was there that Jet Owens saw her fate in a mirror behind the reference desk. Even in her 80s, Jet was still beautiful. Each day she washed with the black soap the family prepared in March during the dark phase of the moon, with every bar then wrapped in crinkly cellophane. Jet had no aches or pains and never had been ill a day in her life. But fate is fate, and it can often be what you least expect it to be. On this day, when the daffodils had begun to bloom, Jet saw that she had seven days to live. She okay. was sick, though. In yeah. Rules of Magic, remember she had a cold, and she wasn't going to see uh, uh, Levi's no. grave for a while. Okay. All right. Yeah. Inconsistency. All right, so she had okay. one cold throughout her entire life. <laughs> I'm calling it out. Facts is facts. Facts is facts. That's right. Alice can't win them all. Like <laughs> Yep. <laughs> So, uh, also on page three to four. It had taken this long for Jet to appreciate that every instant was a marvel. Now everything she saw was illuminated. The sun streaming through the library windows in fierce bands of orange light. A moth tapping at the glass. The sweep of the branches of one of the last elm trees in the Commonwealth, which shadowed the library's lawn. Some people unravel or run for shelter when their time has come. They curse their fate or hide under their beds. But Jet knew exactly what she wished to do in the last days she'd been granted. She didn't have to think twice. So before we were like spending all that time trying to figure out her age, it says in that first paragraph that she was in her 80s. I know, but the math doesn't work. 
The math isn't mathing. The math isn't mathing. Yeah. If that's the year, if we think it's 2001 when the book came or out. 2021 is when this book came out. Right. That she was that year. Like when we did the math, we said she was what age? 70 something? I don't remember. I don't math. I don't oh, yeah. math. I'm yeah, an art I don't, student. I don't, I, don't, I don't math either. Well, we'll just say that's what it was. All right. Okay. So pages five to six. Uh, a person could do her best to be ordinary and fit in, but the past could not be refuted. Even when it was hidden from children, thought to be too tender to know the truth. You didn't choose magic, it chose you. It bloomed inside you, blood and bones, and a curse, once spoken, could not be denied. All the same, fate was what you made of it. You could make the best of it, or you could let it make the best of you. On this evening, when she saw the truth in the library, Jet Owens decided she would do her best to change her family's destiny. So not trying to change her own, but trying to- she knows her time has already run out. Right, know, right, But right. she's going to do what she's got to do. Exactly. So page 11. Though Jet didn't work in the library officially, she was a great favorite with the youngest patrons. She had the ability to know what people were thinking and therefore understood that boys who were rude were usually fearful and that quiet girls often had a lot to say. Hey, that's kind of like herself, right? We were yeah. like, Jet seems like the quiet one, but really she's the one initiating all of these conversations. Sure. Um, so she frequently stopped by to help young people choose books, guiding them to store Stories that contain magic of the best sort, practical magic that was folded into the everyday world. Tales in which people stumbled into enchantments, often while walking down the street in their own hometown, or when they stepped into closets that contained other worlds, or waited for a train that would take them to a place they'd never before imagined. I love those little Easter eggs, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like Narnia, and then yeah. night, Platform Nine and Three Quarters from Harry Potter. I love how uh -huh. she gives like little nudges to other magical works. Dude, I did not even pick up the Harry Potter. I was thinking about that train, the Christmas, the Christmas train story. Oh, Polar express or that Polar one. express is what i was thinking yeah that could be it too that's fun but, um yeah i love that she's just kind of like moseying around a library that's uh -huh. awesome i want to be that yeah, that's going to be me one day. I promise yeah. you. I love a good library. Pages 13 to 14. Once you knew that death was walking alongside you, things came into focus, as they now did for Jet. With only seven days left, she had best pay attention to every detail. She had already taken note that the lines on her right palm, showing the fate that she'd been given, and those on the left hand, the fate she had made for herself, were exactly the same. They had converged, as they always do at the end of a life. Jet's gift of the sight had intensified. She could envision the dog's heart beating under its tangled fur, just as she saw the slow unfolding of black leaves on the last surviving elm trees in Essex County. Um, pages 14 to 15. Jet had had a series of adored black cats when she was younger, all named for birds, including magpie and goose and crow. Yet when Daisy, if indeed it was she, began to approach, Jet felt something prick her heart. She bent to pick up the dog, and when she held it, she could feel its jumpy heartbeat next to her own. She remembered being told that you didn't choose a familiar. It chose you. In truth, Jet felt comforted by Daisy's presence. Life of any sort was marvelous, and she saw that now. Page 16. Now, on the way home, Sally linked an arm through Jet's. She always softened when in the presence of her aunt, Jet, who was the most kind-hearted among them. Jillian had voiced a hunch that there must be an irregularity in Jet's DNA, and some unexpected genes rendered her a huge heart absent in most of their relations. Jillian should know. She worked in a lab at MIT researching genetics, a subject that had come to obsess her. She was convinced that somewhere in their past, there had been an ancestor who had been as kind as their aunt perhaps the same person from whom Jet had inherited her striking good looks. Do we know who that ancestor is? Was that ever 
disclosed or do we know i don't think so because i don't think they're talking about maria and they're definitely not talking about faith yeah so i don't, I don't know so. who they're talking about maybe they're talking about <gasps> rose titanic rose titanic? Oh, maybe all Near right far wherever you are <laughs> Where did I leave? Okay, so page 17. Jet could hear the hum of the first of the season's bees as they neared the house on Magnolia Street with its black shutters and tilted roof slates and dozens of windows made of old wavering green glass. She came to a halt when they turned a corner, well aware that people had long believed that whenever bees swarmed outside a house, a resident was sure to die. Hundreds were now circling the porch in a buzzing whirlwind of yellow. There was Franny out in the chilly dusk without a coat, a broom in her hand, doing her best to bat them away. So it seems like nobody else is accepting this except Jet. Like, she's like, fine. She's like, I accept this. And everybody else is like, these bugs, these beetles, these bees need to get the fuck away. I think Franny's the only one who knows. I don't think the other I girls know. I think you're right. Um, And Franny is just trying her hardest to like divert fate, you know. Right. So page 20. More than six decades earlier, Jet had been a bewitching dark-haired girl who had registered at this very hotel in order to do away with herself. She had lost her first love, Levi, the reverend's son, in a car accident that seemed triggered by the curse, a horrific collision that had claimed her parents' lives as well. She seen no reason to go on and was certain that the world no longer was a place in which she wished to reside. Her fate changed when a young bellman noticed she had checked into the plaza without a suitcase. People without luggage most often had one of two things in mind, an affair or a suicide. Although occasionally there was a third possibility when a novelist arrived desperate for inspiration and always asking for the cheapest room. Rafael Correa was the bellman who noticed Jet. He had stopped her, begging her to reconsider her plans and have room service with him instead. Jet told him from the start she would never belong to him and she mentioned a curse, but he was head over heels after their first encounter and he didn't argue. When you save someone's life, they belong to you no matter what they might say. That's really entitled for him to like, yeah. like right? Well, th- dude, I, I like I'm saying, it's the same thing with Samuel, uh-huh. same thing with Raphael, and it's the same thing with Sally and fucking, what's Ian? Ian. He saves his life too. Right. Ian. Ian. Dude, that was a <laughs> lifetime ago. I know. Like, I remember us having Hurricane Ian blow through here oh, when yeah. we started this whole shebang. I forgot about that was Hurricane Ian's ago. <laughs> I think that's like, I'm sorry, that joke never gets old. That's the second time. I'm pretty sure that's like the second time I've used that joke. Yeah. Every time we talk about Hurricane Ian, we gotta say that was Hurricane Ian's ago. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Page 24. Franny came in from the garden with a basket of fresh parsley and mint. She stopped when she saw that her sister had returned. She could see an ashy shadow around Jet, visible only if you knew what death looked like, if you dared to peer into a black mirror and see the future of those you loved most. It was the evening of the second day, and by tomorrow, the color of the shadow would be more ink than ash. That's gotta be horrifying to see that. Mm-hmm. Page 38. Jet, on her last night, discovers the Book of the Raven, hidden behind a loose board in the library beneath Maria's journal. The last chapter of the Book of the Raven was titled, how to end a curse. I didn't know that what you sent into the world came back to you threefold and that I would be the one to suffer. To begin a curse is done with ease. To break it takes great sacrifice. Everything worthwhile is dangerous. On page 45, life was like a book, 
Jet thought, but one you would never finish. You would never know how people would wind up. The good often suffered and the wicked prospered, and there was no explanation for the way in which fate was meted out as there was in novels. Fiction made sense of the world. Perhaps that was why Jet had been a fanatical reader as a girl. When Levi Willard died so tragically and before his time, novels had saved her. Sometimes when the world looked especially gloomy, Jet returned to the ones that had helped her through her darkest hours. Wuthering Heights, The Scarlet letter, Fahrenheit 451, her favorite, a love letter to books. Page 46. Franny paled when she heard this. It was the evening of the seventh day, the time she had dreaded ever since the bees appeared. They left through the bar, and perhaps Jet couldn't quite bear for their night to end. She stopped to order a whiskey. For what was to come, she needed strength. Good idea, Jillian said, calling over the bartender, a fellow named Jed who swore they had dated in high school though Jillian, for the life of her, couldn't remember him. Seriously? Sally said to Jet, disbelieving. You don't drink. Now and then, Jet shrugged. It helps me sleep. As a matter of fact, the whiskey was delightful, tasting of smoke and wood. Why not? Franny, who had never once ordered anything at the bar of the Black Rabbit, relented and joined her sister in a toast. It was their last night, after all. They might as well do as they pleased. To us, Franny said. Jet nodded always and forever and, and i'm in tears yeah and then, like, <laughs> the uh girls like jillian and sally still have no idea i don't think jet wanted them to know right but her and franny both knew so crazy and that's funny that jet was like let's have a drink and yeah. franny's like okay <laughs> yeah yeah so page 49 there were blisters on jet's fingers that had risen up from touching the last page uh, i think this was in reference to the book of the raven Right? Yes, ma'am. A line of invisible writing revealed itself. When you are ready and have nothing to lose, when you are unafraid, when you wish to save someone else more than you wish to save yourself. It was only when Jet read the last line of the curse breaker that she realized just how dangerous the book was. So Jet's whole, I guess, demise was kind of like the catalyst for eventually breaking this curse. So page 51, it said, In their family, a sister was everything, your heart and soul, and here they were together on the last evening of Jet's life, grateful to be so. Oh, seven days, oh, beautiful world, oh, how lucky they were. Page 52 to 53. Jed Owens had been a lovely person, both kind and practical. The one woman people in town could go to when their lives were in shambles or when love was out of reach. The mourners weren't headed to the Owens family cemetery, a small patch of land most people avoided, especially on dark nights. For Jet had decided to be buried in the town cemetery beside Levi Willard, her first sweetheart, the Reverend's only son. Franny and Jet had seen to the arrangements together, choosing a white marble headstone, Beneath Jet's chiseled name and the date of her birth and death was a quotation that had been her favorite, written by the poet she most admired. Unable are the love to die, for love is immortality. Unbeknownst to Jet, Franny had added another line beneath her sister's name, beloved by all. So now I guess we'll talk a little bit about Jet's role in breaking the curse and how her message was meant for Franny, but Kylie actually found this message instead, which kind of fueled her whole journey to the UK and the family's origins, old stomping grounds, right? Mm -hmm. I was a little fuzzy on these details, so I probably put a lot of the stuff that we already just talked about. I didn't read too much of what was here for Book of Magic. I guess, was there anything you wanted to say about her role in Breaking the Curse before we talk about this? I just um, don't know why it had to be such a, like, game of Clue. Hmm, yeah. Like, could have made it a little easier. <laughs> I don't know. Because she re-hid the book. Yeah. Um, I think she left a note and Kylie found it again were fuzzy but like yeah, yeah. i think she put the book back and then kylie goes to the library looking for this book because she heard it somewhere or saw it written down somewhere yeah and finds the book and then she goes but it was supposed to be franny who all in it. the end it all it is 
Franny, but I don't think Jet meant for her great niece to go through all this rigmarole trying to (laughs) find their homeland and, you know, break the curse. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit more about how Jet actually, I guess, set the stones in motion when referring to breaking the curse or the family breaking the curse. Mm-hmm. Leaving Franny with this message to tell her how to do it because wasn't, I guess, Jet saw herself as that sacrifice? I don't know. It wasn't a sacrifice because it wasn't her choice. She mm-hmm. was already like chosen by the Death Watch Beetle. She was already going to go. Okay. But are you talking about Franny? Like it was Franny's choice. Franny did choose herself as the sacrifice, right? She jumped into the water with the the book. Yes. Right? What I was always fuzzy on was did she jump in? She jumped into the water with the family grimoire, not the book of the raven, right? Because remember, she copied everything over from the family grimoire into like a smaller little notebook or something like that. Right. Kylie was carrying around the book of the raven, which Mm -hmm. the curse breaker was in. Yeah. Dude, I'm listening to myself like as a third person talking about this shit. I sound crazy. I know. Yeah. Like I'm very fuzzy. I'm very fuzzy on the actual like breaking of the curse and all the details. So I put a little more in here. Okay, wait. Wasn't it to break the curse, you had to have the sacrifice and the curse was written down in their family grimoire. So Franny sacrifices herself with that grimoire and the grimoire turns back into a frog and then the curse is like broken. Remember the magic was connected to the skin of this toad that their grimoire was bound with. Mm -hmm. When Franny jumps into the water the skin that it's bound with turns back into this toad and then the magic i guess of the book is no more right yep but i don't understand i still don't understand like so why does she even copy over all of these spells and stuff into another notebook what was what's the point of that if the magic is gone then how would those spells still even work you know what i'm saying it's the knowledge i guess it's like the cultivation of knowledge because i guess you know the difference they have in these this universe is like the hereditary witches versus the cunning self-taught witches they can like reteach themselves i guess if okay it's all gone they still have the information right which also if you want to go down the whole rabbit hole like sally cutting off her own hair like was that even like really a, a sacrifice, sacrifice? It's yeah, hair. The fuck? um i, I, like, I, I love this story yeah i know but there's but i like sally less and less as the story goes on well it's not even just like sally and her like whole persona it's just like a lot of the details and things that make sense they make sense less as i think alice tried to wrap up the story in like a mm-hmm. nice little bow mm-hmm. i think it kind of would have been nicer if it was just like left as it was and we kind of just use our imaginations like Maybe they never yeah. broke the curse. I don't know. But I don't know. It just confuses I would have been good with three books. Yeah, yeah. It just confuses the fuck out of me at the end there. Like, a lot does not make sense to me. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, So I guess if we want to talk a little bit more in depth about how Jet kind of wanted this curse to be broken. So in the Book of Magic, this passage, I don't remember what page this was from. I don't think I put it down. But it says it was only when Jet read the last line of the curse breaker that she realized how dangerous the book was. And we said that line a little earlier, but I don't think we elaborated on that. But it says that the price of using, I guess, the book was far too dear for most practitioners. In good faith, she could not leave this book in her room for Franny to find. She wished she could be the one to break the curse, but it was her seventh day and only someone else could complete what she had begun. She did what she must with great haste, knowing that time would not wait. She took a pot of paste she used whenever she attached samples of herbs or plants to the grimoire. It was strong stuff made of bird bones and black stones, and once it had set, it was impossible to remove unless you knew the secret to doing so. She glued the last two pages together so that the dangerous remedy would be hidden and set a privacy spell upon the last section of the book so that no one else would accidentally stumble upon it. At last, she scrawled a note that she, f- that she, f- <laughs> I'm looking at you right now. 
<laughs> At last, she scrawled a note that she folded in between the pages of the poems of Emily Dickinson, always kept on her night table. If Franny ever did use the curse breaker, she would have to search for it, and perhaps it would be better if the Book of the Raven was never found again. So but she- why? Why does she have to search for it? I don't. Yeah, you're just dropping the dice and piecing out after you're dead like deuce i don't have to deal with this curse anymore figure it out guys he has this book of the raven that she does that with right but then she leaves i guess to do something with this book but we don't know what because they never say what but she goes out for a walk and then franny's like looking for her and then she comes back we still don't know what she did and franny's like where'd you go and she's like i just wanted to take one more look at the town because it was her last night that she knew that she would be alive she Um, hid the book back in the library i guess yeah she put it back under a floorboard or something why couldn't she just tell franny i glued these two pages together here's how you open them up This, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This, again, the end of this book, this book is very frustrating. She's trying to be that cheeky Gemini, like, <laughs> I got yeah. a secret. She's got secret codes. She's got oh, codes on codes on codes. Um, <laughs> so pages 87 to 88. <laughs> Four weeks after the funeral, Kylie remembered that she had her aunt's copy of the poems of Emily Dickinson. She had planned to read a poem a day. But the loss of her aunt Jet continued to sting and she felt paralyzed by grief. She hadn't read a single one. Still, there was the book on Kylie's night table. She reached to turn on her lamp and let the pages fall open. This is the hour of... She started reading something. I don't know what this whole passage is. This is the hour of lead. Remembered mm. if outlived as freezing persons recollect the snow. I guess it's an Emily Dickinson poem. First chill, then stupor, then the letting go. It was then Kylie had noticed that a letter had dropped from in between the pages. It was addressed to Franny. Okay, so she did address Franny in the note. Mm-hmm. But Kylie was like, fuck that. I'm going to read this shit anyway. Right? That's what it seems like. She's like kind of just like took it for herself. Mm-hmm. So she knew she wasn't supposed to read it, but she did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was addressed to Franny, but here it was a bird that had flown into her lap. Kylie unfolded it, her heart thudding against the cage of her ribs. My darling girl, if there be a cure, seek till you find it. If there be none, never mind it. The curse Maria Owens placed on herself and us to protect us from love has nearly ruined our family. Look where we keep our books. There is a cure in the Book of the Raven, but beware, it is the most dangerous book of all. It grants your heart's desire, but the price you pay is steep. I was already dying, so I couldn't be the one. Okay, yeah, you were right. That's what you said before. The one among us with the most courage will break the curse. It's always been you. And Kylie thought of the cousin at the funeral going on and on about the Owens curse. It was nothing that she'd been told. It was a myth. Clearly, her Aunt Jet had thought otherwise. All the same, Kylie folded the note and stored it in her drawer. As far as she was concerned, she already possessed her heart's desire, and he was waiting for her just around the corner. But, like, that's really presumptuous of Kylie to think, like, even after Jet says in this note, Franny, it has to be you. Why does Kylie think that, like, she needs to take on this journey? I don't know. I don't know. How is it addressed to Franny? How, like, was it written, like, like folded in half and Franny's written on the front? Because it starts off, my darling girl. So maybe Kylie's like, oh, I'm the special one. I'm just going to clip together also all of us just arguing over this in the preview. <laughs> it's going to be insane. <laughs> it is insane. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, trying, know. To make, I'm still trying to make Nobody sense. Nobody is blameless in this, I think. Yeah. All right. So page 106. The cover of the book did indeed burn Kylie's fingertips and she slipped on the gloves before sinking down on the floor. She sat back down on her heels as she turned the first page. There was an envelope tucked inside. Another note in Jet's familiar sloping script. 
Dear one, do not use the Book of the Raven unless you are prepared to lose everything. This book will lead you to the end of the curse. Start in the city where it was written. And then this kind of just like sent Kylie on a whole spiral. She doesn't even tell her family that she's freaking leaving to go back to Essex to find, I guess, to break this curse. But she had the Book of the Raven, right? Didn't she have it? Yes, she finds it. And when she opens it, this note drops out. Okay, so she has the Book of the Raven, but she doesn't know that the last two pages are bound together. And that's what has the curse breaking spell on it. So she's got to go back to Essex to find out how to, I guess, get into that portion of the book to find that out? I don't know if she knows that that's... It's even there? Yeah, that that's even there. I think when she's with Tom Lachlan, he points it out. Okay. There was more about the breaking of the curse, but it's a rabbit hole. I don't know how much you want to go into all that. But basically what we already said, like what happens at the end, Franny was the one who ultimately ended up having to sacrifice herself to rid this curse to begin with. And they destroy the family grimoire. Sally chops off her hair. Like... It's a whole thing. eye roll. Her, your eye roll was so loud from here. It's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, Jet's, I guess, purpose in her place in this book is very uh, muddled. I guess mm. in the beginning, the curse with the Death Watch beetle. Some women can hear it for their lovers. Some people can hear it for themselves. Yeah. It's really bonkers. Bonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, she's the one who discovers how to break the curse. She doesn't have enough time. She leaves a note for her sister. But then she gets all sneaky, sneaky yeah. and putting riddles and shit. Like, like, <laughs> like if it may be a curse. code. <laughs> <laughs> Where, circle, 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 circle. <laughs> She's probably trying to be all Machiavelli about it, like oh my God. All Da Vinci about it, but yeah. So I guess she felt like in her last days she had to fulfill this purpose, which yeah. is breaking this family curse. And even though she knows she wasn't the one that could have done it because, you know, the Death Watch Beetle already had claimed her, she was already dying, so she couldn't be the one to do it. Somebody had to actually sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. for this curse to break mm-hmm. so she i like how she like pointed out her sister she's like franny you you're the one that's got to kill yourself <laughs> like she threw her sister under the bus <laughs> so, see always wrangling her into doing shit that's right that's right oh my god i just don't love that fucking she got buried by her childhood love that she only met 20 times it's just yeah. so dramatic it is poor but, Raphael. yeah And we don't know what happens to him. I guess we'll never know, though, unless there is another book and it goes into other characters. We'll probably never know. But if it does, if we do get another book, I really do want to see Isabel's whole life before Magnolia Street. I guess that wraps up Book of Magic and the whole spiel about the curse. I mean, we could probably talk about that for days, but Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a rabbit hole and there's a lot of stuff I know both of us are not in agreement on like we just don't understand it we we're not clear on it and this is a jet episode and that was as much as we could sum up her life from rules of magic when it was so heavily her story i mean yeah vincent and franny but like the amount of grief that she had to go through all of them really yeah sad and Those to are see history kind of repeating itself because then their poor nieces come to them because they lost their parents from them having to be now parental figures to these two little girls now mm-hmm. and i'm sure just like knowing how much that they have endured through their whole life and now seeing these two little girls having to go through the same thing i'm sure that end of itself is even more heart-wrenching for mm-hmm. them to witness yeah you know they're just surrounded by grief all around and it it sucks to be in that position um but i think we're ready to take a break though right yeah 
Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do our card pull from the Inner Witch Oracle by Grounded by the Moon. And then we're going to get into a little bit of fan fiction and have some fun with that. And then we're going to give Jet her Myers-Briggs test and figure out what her personality type is. So I'm really excited to do that. So mm -hmm. stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, little witches. The scene is here. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you would know how much we love using the Practical Magic Inner Witch Oracle Deck by Grounded by the Moon. And now we want to share the magic of Grounded by the Moon with you, our listeners. Joseph Benitez Egerton, the creator behind Grounded by the Moon, would like to offer this very special 10% off discount to all who wish to experience the magic of his Practical Magic-themed tarot and oracle decks. But that's not all. He also creates other divination tools like tarot workbooks, deck bags and altar cloths, pendulum kits, oil blends, cleansing sprays, smoke wands, teas, and ritual kits. And let's not forget about his custom handcrafted all-natural soy candles, where every candle is hand-poured and personally infused and charged under the light of the moon. They even come with a crystal. And did we mention all of the ingredients in the candles are ethically sourced? All of Joseph's offerings are just so magical. So go visit groundedbythemoon.com and use the coupon code Magnolia Magic for 10% off your entire order at checkout. That's M A G N O L I A M A G I C. So get your discount today. Hey, we're the Stinas, and you're listening to the Magnolia Street Podcast. Okay. Got your cards? All right. I'm going to shuffle. Ready. What are we going to pull for Aunt Jet? Stop. Oh, look at that. The Book it's of Shadows. Book of Shadows. Mm -hmm. The keyword on this card is lineage and roots. Perfect. It's oh, perfect. I know. I wonder if it's going to say in this description. Like sacrifice. If it's going to be like, uh, you shouldn't have left that grimoire for someone to find. You should have just given it oh, to Franny. Can't leave that shit laying around, Jet. Can't leave that shit laying around. <laughs> All right, so the uh, keyword on this card is lineage and roots. And also at the top here, it says ancestors. The description on this card says, you have all that you need. It has all been passed down to you from your ancestors. Tap into your lineage, get in touch with your roots. Know you have the power, feel it inside your bones. You are a descendant of magic. Tap into the deeper connections at your core. There is a great knowledge to be gained by honoring and connecting with your ancestors. Use the power of a black candle, a piece of paper, a small empty bowl, this card, and an object to better connect with their energies. You can also use like a skull, a feather, any kind of liquor or spirits, and then write the affirmation on the paper, place the objects, and visualize your connections and honor. When ready, light the candle, speak the affirmation, and burn the paper. And the affirmation on this card is the power resides deep within me. Hmm. So just a nice way to connect with your lineage, with the, the power of your ancestors, and whatever's been passed down to you through your lineage. Because um, there's a lot of magic there. There, so. there can also be some secrets and some oh. trauma. Just like the ancestral line of the Owenses versus the Willard slash Hathorn mm. colliding again, you know. So right. we got to do that family tree episode. That'll be that's going to be so fascinating. I know. Yeah, but, but what if she comes out with another book? We'll have to start all over. We could always edit it or tailor it to okay any kind of new characters that come into play to fit you know any kind of new information that comes out. But talking about you said secrets. 
right? Or sickness or any kind of like traumas or anything like that. So I thought it would be fun to talk about some fan fiction because me and you, we had that conversation about how Jet is so sweet and has this reputation as the sweet aunt. And the way that Diane Weiss plays her character, it's almost sweet to the point where you feel like there might be a little passive aggression there or her sweetness is, is just a mask for like a much darker persona. Mm-hmm. And what is that secret? What is that darker side to her? So I was a little curious about that. I wanted to play with that a little bit. So I consulted Chat GPT and I asked, write me a fan fiction in which the character Jet Owens from Practical Magic, who was known in the book as the Sweet Aunt, actually has a dark side. Why does she have this dark side? And what kind of acts does this dark side make her do in secret? Oh boy. It actually wrote me like a five chapter. Oh. They're very short. They're very yeah, short. Yeah. But like it wrote, wrote it out as if it was like a book structure. All right. And it actually gave her story a name. If we were to just read a book about just Jet and like her darker side, this chat GPT is saying it's called The Shadows of Sweetness. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So chapter one, hints of darkness. Moonlight bathed the charming town of New England as Jet Owens, the beloved sweet aunt from Practical Magic, strolled along the cobblestone streets. With her warm smile and gentle demeanor, she was known for her kind heart and loving nature. But beneath her radiant exterior, Jet harbored a secret a dark side that she kept hidden from the world. Jet's dark side emerged from a painful past that she kept buried deep within her soul. I mean, we all know about her painful past, right? Uh, Long ago, she had suffered a heartbreak so profound that it had shattered her trust in love and left her scarred. The lingering bitterness and resentment had festered, transforming Jet into a person filled with a thirst for power and control. Did you read this already? I like skimmed through, but I didn't like actually read it. Yeah. Um, But that makes sense. Like if Jet were to take her grief and go on the opposite spectrum, like the darker spectrum, Mm -hmm. that this would be a result of that grief that she suffered when she was younger. So chapter two unleashed desires. In the stillness of the night, when the town lay sound asleep, Jet would retreat to a hidden alcove of her enchanting garden. There, surrounded by twisted vines and exotic flowers, she would indulge her secret desires. Jet's dark side craved dominance and manipulation. This sounds like more like faith, right? Drawing her toward forbidden arts of witchcraft. Under the moon's watchful gaze, Jet would perform dark rituals, invoking ancient spells that granted her unparalleled abilities. With her newfound powers, she crafted potions that ensnared hearts, bending the will of those she desired. Friends and lovers unwittingly became her puppets, caught in a web of her intricate schemes. So she's a dom. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Dang, girl. Jet. Does it sound like faith a little bit? Yes. In the dark path she went down? Chapter 3, Whispers of Mischief Peculiar activities began to circulate among the townsfolk, whispers carried by the wind. Suspicion grew as odd occurrences plagued the lives of those who had crossed paths with her. Misfortune befell her acquaintances, relationships crumbled, and dreams shattered like fragile glass. But Jet remained skillful at concealing her true nature. By day, she continued to play the role of the caring aunt, providing comfort and solace to those who sought her guidance. Only in the shadows did her dark side thrive, fueled by the intoxicating power she had come to relish. Chapter 4, The Awakening 
Jet's carefully crafted facade began to unravel when Jillian, her niece, grew suspicious of her sweet aunt's strange behavior. What? Unbeknownst to Jet, Jillian had secretly observed her during one of her nightly rituals. Fueled by a mix of curiosity and concern, Jillian delved deeper into Jet's secret world, determined to uncover the truth. As Jillian unraveled the mysteries surrounding Jet, she discovered the source of her aunt's darkness. The heartbreak that had shattered her trust in love, Jillian realized that her aunt's acts of manipulation and control were born out of pain, a desperate attempt to protect her fragile heart from ever being broken again. This Dude, what did I say at the very beginning? Uh -huh. Her bubbly, her beautiful face, her bubbly nature was, I was like, not maybe not manipulating, but twisting yeah. the hand a little bit. Yeah. Come on, Jet. Chat GPT, mm -hmm. you've done it again. Chat GPT. So chapter five, Redemption. Armed with this newfound understanding, Jillian confronted Jet, laying bare the depths of her aunt's secrets. Jet, surprised and vulnerable, confessed her sins, her dark side fully exposed. Consumed by guilt and remorse, Jet began to question her actions and the toll they had taken on those she cared about. Together, Jillian and Jet embarked on a journey of redemption, seeking to heal the wounds caused by Jet's dark side. Through acts of kindness and genuine love, they worked to restore the shattered trust within their family and the community they held dear. In the end, Jed Owens, the sweet aunt with the dark side, learned that love could mend even the most broken hearts. The shadows that once consumed her soul began to recede, replaced by a newfound sense of compassion and understanding. I like how they gave this like a positive ending. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, That's yeah. great. There's an epilogue. This oh shit. The title of this is Shadows into Light. Jet's transformation became an inspiration to all who knew her. She used her powers for good, mending broken relationships, and helping others find solace in their own hearts. Though forever marked by her past, Jed Owens emerged as a beacon of hope, a testament to the power of redemption and the strength to confront the darkness within. And so, in the sleepy town of New England, the sweet aunt who had once harbored a dark side became a symbol of resilience, teaching others that even in the face of shadows, there's always the possibility of finding light. I like how it's the town of New England. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Cute. I like, okay, she goes through her own like little dark period, kind of like Faith did. Mm hmm. Right. I'm seeing yeah. a little bit of a parallel there. Yeah. A family member brought her back. Yeah. Yeah. They're like each other's beacons of light in through those dark times. In Book of Magic, do you remember that Jet still, she's still going to the hotel or to meet Raphael? And one of the nieces follows her one day. I don't know if it was both of them, but she catches them. Like they've in the past have tried to figure out like, where she's go, where are you going? Uh -huh. She's being really mysterious and she catches them. And she's like, I just want one day to myself where I don't have to answer any questions, take care of you. Let me have my privacy, basically. Yeah. I don't remember that. So that makes perfect sense yeah. that this would be her story. Right. It's cool to just like, I don't know, go down these like little avenues and little rabbit yeah. holes and kind of just explore different untouched storylines that might possibly be there. Like I know Alice never showed us that Jet went through this dark period, but she could very well have because of all the grief, it makes mm -hmm. perfect sense that she has every reason to turn dark if she wanted to due to all the loss and stuff that she suffered through her lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So Very nice. Yeah. Thank you for the story. Yeah. I was going to turn off my light again, like, oh, we're going to get snuggled in. <laughs> going to get spooky. 
Yeah, <laughs> One thing that I don't like about ChatGPT is that it's very like surface level storyline. Like they don't yeah. really get into too many details. Like, mm -mm. you know? Yeah. Just like the Billy Zane thing, like secrets of his past. Yeah, like, what secrets? Dark side. Yeah. Like what? Right, yeah. I want to make up some details. Give me details. Yeah. <laughs> I need the deets. The deets. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to get into the Myers-Briggs test now, right? The personality type. Here we go. Yeah. And as a refresher, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, MBTI, is an introspective self-report questionnaire indicating differing psychological preferences and how people perceive the world and make decisions. This test attempts to assign a value to each of the four categories, introversion or extroversion, sensing or intuition, thinking or feeling, and judging or perceiving. One letter from each category is taken to produce that four-letter test result, such as INTJ or ESFP. Justina and I did ours way back on our first character analysis with Sally, and we are INFJTs, and we are labeled as turbulent advocates. That means we're introverted, intuitive, feeling, judging, and turbulent. And we approach life with thoughtfulness and imagination and are guided by our principled versions of humanism. And we're going to take Jet's test on her behalf. We're going to break it down. We're going to go to that 16 personality site like we always do. Sally's episode, her character analysis was episode five and Franny's was number 12. So if you want to revisit those and listen to their Myers-Briggs tests. To we also did Jillian's. We did do Jillian's. What? Yeah. What I episode? Didn't even write was that, that down. I'm so sorry. Episode 26. 26. Episode 26. Dude, yeah. I have all the episodes right in front of me. Jillian Hip Thrust Owens. That's right. That episode. All yeah. right. I like Jet. I think she was underrated initially, in my opinion. And then I was like, oh, we're more alike than I thought. So we think she might be a Gemini? Perhaps. Perhaps. Yep. Here we go. All right, friends. Are we ready? This is 16 personalities. We are taking it on behalf of Jet Owens. Here we go. Remember, there are many questions. So mm -hmm. we're going to go through. There's a degree. Strong agree to strong disagree. And there's a couple options in the middle. Franny was pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing what we know about Jet, mm. we'll see what happens. Okay. Do you regularly make new friends? I think she does. She's I very, do too. She's got a sweet disposition, so I fully agree. She's saying hi to everyone on the street. Mm -hmm. She's killing everybody with kindness. Yes, yes. Right? You spend a lot of free time exploring various random topics that pique your interest. Agree. She's always got her face in some kind of book, so she's always educating herself on something. Yeah. Seeing other people cry can easily make you feel like you want to cry too. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Wasn't there like a scene? Was it when Sally was trying to get uh, the spirit to come out of Jillian and they yeah, kind of like oh, shows so her and she looked like a little teary eyed? Ugh. You often make a backup plan for a backup plan. I don't know. I think she's pretty go with the, go with the flow. Yeah, I agree too. Neutral? So new uh, maybe, maybe the first baby disagree. Baby disagree. Usually stay calm even under a lot of pressure. Hmm. I think she could get flustered easily. Yeah. Uh, it's just a feeling. That's okay. all. I'm going to be baby disagree. Baby disagree. At social events, you rarely try to introduce yourself to new people and mostly talk to the ones you already know. I'm going to disagree. I think she's like, like you said, she's walking around town. She's saying hi to random people. Even she's a social they, butterfly. Right. Even if they show her that, they, that she makes them uncomfortable, she don't give a shit. She's going to say hi to you anyway. <laughs> you prefer to completely finish one project before starting another. I'm going to disagree. I think she's got a lot of different things going on. Gemini. Yeah. A lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, exactly. You, you are very sentimental. Agree. Agree. My God. You like to use organizing tools like schedules and lists. Oh, pish, tosh. No. <laughs> Wasn't that Franny? Was it Franny? 
Yeah. I don't know, but I don't think But still, she was the one who was like, let's go do spells. Right. Like, she just, like, they had no agenda that afternoon. It's just like, whatever. It's a free-for-all, I think, over there. I don't think either one of those aunts are using schedules and lists. Uh, So I would do maybe middle or baby disagree just because of her in the books. Like, she routinely goes to his grave. She routinely goes to the hotel. Okay. So maybe All right, baby. Then maybe, yeah, maybe baby disagree. Even small mistakes can cause you to doubt your overall abilities and knowledge. Hmm. I would agree. I think after the death of Levi, she was like, I don't want the site. Like, I don't, is that, yeah. do you think that's in the same vein or not really? Yeah, I think so. So maybe middle, middle agree. Okay. You feel comfortable just walking up to someone you find interesting and striking up a conversation. Agree. Yeah. You are not too interested in discussing various interpretations and analyses of creative works. Disagree. I disagree. Yeah. I think I she, think she loves like poetry. Oh my god, light her world on fire. Theoretical conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. You are more inclined to follow your head than your heart. Disagree. I think she's disagree. following her heart. She is so heart-centered. I think she's sometimes so- to a fault. Yeah, like she's so motivated by her emotions and her feelings, I think. You usually prefer just doing what you feel like at any given moment instead of planning a particular daily routine. Well, you just pointed out that she's got her set routine. She's got her appointments. She keeps those in order. Yeah. And doesn't it say in the first book that the aunts always have the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day? Okay. Um, How about baby disagree? Okay. You rarely worry about whether you make a good impression on people you meet. Mm, I don't know. That's a hard one. Neutral? Yeah, neutral. You enjoy participating in group activities. Agree. They going to that solstice celebration, honey. Yeah. And at the end where she was like, we need a nine for the coven or whatever, right? And she's like, hey, let's all go to the Black Rabbit and have drinks. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she's make she's always making plans. She's the ringleader, it seems Yeah, like. <laughs> she is. Yeah. It says you like books and movies that make you come up with your own interpretations of the ending. Hmm. I would middle agree on that. I feel like she would watch like Inception and be like, wait a minute. It's delightful. Wait a minute. <laughs> Inception. That was delightful. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, before, didn't we read a quote from Book of Magic where it says how life was like an unfinished story and it bothers her that she won't know the ending? Oh yeah. So okay. I think she I think she needs to know how things are gonna like the outcome okay. of the situation. So, so disagree. disagree. Yeah. I really like that quote. I want to put that up on our Instagram. All right. The next statement is your happiness comes more from helping others accomplish things than your own accomplishments. I think middle agree because she's a people pleaser. She wants to build other people up. She wants to have her hands in everything. Yes, I agree. You are interested in so many things that you find it difficult to choose what to try next. Hmm. Um, hmm. I'm on the side of like baby disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has her witch for hire business and her poetry and they spin yarn and weave. Right. What else are they doing? Gardening? Yeah. Gardening. Okay. So uh, yeah. Um, okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if she finds it difficult to choose what to try next. I think she kind of dabbles. I think she kind of floats around to whatever is like tickling her fancy at that given moment. Okay. What do you think then? Neutral or baby disagree? Oh, but baby disagree. All right. You are prone to worrying that things will take a turn for the worst. Given that all she's experienced in her life, I'll probably agree or maybe even middle agree like i think she's she's jet so she's got that little like bit of hope in her Mm -hmm. but i think given what she's been through i think she's always expecting the worst yeah not to the extent of franny but still right she she does have more of the rose tinted glasses than yes her other siblings yes 
which is which is great to know i mean later on in her life out of all the shit she's been through that she is still this giving loving caring tender bubbly person mm-hmm. that's amazing right you avoid leadership roles in group settings disagree i'm gonna disagree i think yeah. she's fine with leadership yeah she's pulling those women from the coven in the house she's like let's <laughs> yeah. go everybody grab a broom yeah. circle up all she right has no problem d- giving orders right nine women 12s better you can't <laughs> practice witchcraft while you look down your nose at- okay you are definitely not an artistic type of person disagree i think she's very creative you think the world would be a better place if people relied more on rationality and less on their feelings disagree yeah you prefer to do your chores before allowing yourself to relax. Cho- Disagree. Chores. Pish tosh. Pish tosh. Disagree. Nobody's cleaning that house. No. You enjoy watching people argue. Disagree. Disagree. You tend to avoid drawing attention to yourself. Uh, that's hard because she doesn't own her beauty. She's always covering her light with that bushel basket, as they say. <laughs> you know well let's think about the scene where they're walking through the town and like they're catching attention even they're not trying to they just Mm -hmm. naturally draw attention to themselves so i'm gonna say agree oh no no disagree disagree okay they don't try to avoid it right true your mood can change very quickly i'm gonna say agree i i I, yes like you you mentioned in the uh midnight margarita scene when they're sitting around the table and like boom she was out of that chair so fast (laughs) and she was around the backside of the table how did she get out so fast right she like teleported over there yeah Yeah, all right you lose patience with people who are not as efficient as you i I think she's patient yeah i I could see her being patient middle or baby disagree um baby okay you often end up doing things at the last possible moment Hmm. like getting out of the way of that taxi (laughs) that's so fucked up too soon too soon that was horrible oh man okay oh shit (laughs) so wrong um in all seriousness i don't know she seems like she has her plans right in the books anyway like she seems like she's got her schedule she's got her appointment set up and Mm -hmm. she's good to go we'll do middle all right middle disagree you have always been fascinated by the question of what if anything happens after death agree agree yeah you usually prefer to be around others rather than on your own. Agree. You become bored or lose interest when the discussion gets highly theoretical. Disagree. I That's think right. she's all about the theories. Do you okay. think Jet is a conspiracy theorist? She'd probably love that shit. Uh-huh. Oh, she's, I bet she'd be all about it. 100%. Yeah. I feel like if you're excited about something, she'll be excited about that thing yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. You can see that. Oh, I was going to say that Jet is a lot easier to answer for than Franny was. Yeah, but they also are like completely opposite sides of the spectrum, kind of like Sally and Jillian were, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You find it easy to empathize with a person whose experiences are very different from yours. Agree. You usually postpone finalizing decisions for as long as possible. I don't know. Do you think Jet's the type where she like she knows what she wants and she knows she wants it then and there? Yeah, I'll put a middle disagree. Middle disagree? Okay. Wait, wait, hold up. Going yeah. back to that real quick. Like, as soon as she knew that she was going to die in, like, seven days, she made all the plans and she made all the arrangements. That's she, true. She made her funeral arrangements. She made the reservations to the Black Rabbit Inn. She made sure everybody was together. She made sure that all of her shit was in order before she passed away. You're right. You're right. Okay, we're going to do hard disagree for yeah. that last one. Okay. Okay. You rarely second guess the choices that you have made. That's tough. Um, agree. I don't think she's second guessing any choices she's made. Maybe 
Maybe the only choice she's ever second guessed was the wish. Remember the wish that yes. she. All right, so maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe she does second guess. I thought baby disagree because she feels so much guilt. She like blames herself for making that wish, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, disagree. After a long and exhausting week, a lively social event is just what you need. Agree. She's yeah. She's like midnight margaritas. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> It's Wednesday night. It's ladies' <laughs> night. We gotta go. Ladies' night. You enjoy going to art museums. Agree. You often have a hard time understanding other people's feelings. Disagree. I think she's very in touch with other people's feelings. Yeah. You like to have a to-do list for each day. I'm gonna say agree. Okay. You rarely feel insecure. I'd put disagree. As certain as she is about the things that she wants and needs out of life, I think she is very insecure about her, like the magic that she kind of like shunned once she had all that grief. She was grief stricken. Mm -hmm. That was her but most like, insecure time. And the siblings she was birthed in between, like Franny is so strong and self-assured and smart and Vincent is so handsome and talented. And then there's Jet who's beautiful, but she doesn't own up to that, I guess. She doesn't use that to her advantage. As far as we know, you rarely feel insecure. Disagree. You avoid making phone calls. Do we see her making any phone calls in the movie? I don't think so. She sends a lot of letters. Does she? In the books. In the books, sorry. In the books, yeah. In the Okay, so maybe baby agree. She kind of avoids, but she doesn't avoid communication or contact. Maybe she's just not a mm -hmm. phone person. She just mm -hmm. letters is her love language. Mm -hmm. Baby agree? Baby agree. You often spend a lot of time trying to understand views that are very different from your own. I think she would. Yeah. In your social circle, you are often the one who contacts your friends and initiates activities. Yep. Oh, yeah. If your plans are interrupted, your top priority is to get back on track as soon as possible. I would say agree. I would too. Like she was like, let's run, Levi, when their plans were interrupted. You're still bothered by mistakes that you made a long time ago. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, poor yeah. thing. You rarely contemplate the reasons for human existence or the meaning of life. Disagree. Your emotions control you more than you can control them. I would say agree. I do too. I think she's very controlled by her own emotions. Mm -hmm. You take great care not to make people look bad, even when it's completely their fault. Agree. Yeah. Your personal work style is closer to spontaneous bursts of energy than organized and consistent efforts. Disagree. I think... I think she's very meticulous and organized, I would okay. say. When someone thinks highly of you, you wonder how long it will take them to feel disappointed in you. I would probably agree on that. You would love a job that requires you to work alone most of the time. Disagree. She, I, she's a people person. Yeah. Sure. You believe that pondering abstract philosophical questions is a waste of time. Disagree. Yeah. I think that tickles her fancy. Yeah. You feel more drawn to places with busy, bustling atmospheres than quiet, intimate places. I would agree because they like they I think were... she likes both though. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I just she likes an art museum, you know? Yeah. And like her and was it Levi when they were like all over New York City and kind of exploring parks and the mm -hmm. was it the Bethesda fountain and the theater and like I think the excitement of the bustling pace of the city, I think that excites her. Mm. But then she ends up being in a library. But that's still people coming in and out. She's helping the people. Right. Maybe she does need that balance. Should we do neutral for that one? Okay. She likes both. You know at first glance how someone is feeling. Agree. Agree. He's got that knowing, right? I think this is the last set of questions. Okay. You often feel overwhelmed. I would have to semi-agree with that. Yeah? Okay. I feel like she feels very burdened, very burdened and obligated to sort out this curse, especially mm -hmm. toward the end of her life. Okay. You know? Which one are we doing? Uh, maybe middle agree? Okay. You complete things methodically without skipping over any steps. Uh, 
I would say baby disagree. I feel like I'm picturing her in the kitchen <laughs> with a recipe shoved in the bed. Like, we'll just throw a little of this in, we'll <laughs> this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember, like, specifically when they were doing the whole, like, lime and the lye concoction in the cauldron? Like, was she skipping steps or was she, like, meticulous about what went in that pot? I don't, you mean in the book or in the movie? Yeah, in the book. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. All right. I thought you were talking about the midnight margaritas thing. I was like, that was pretty. That was like, kind off of the cuff. That was kind of. Uh, you don't think that was more meticulous? Like she knew what she wanted to put in that. She knew. Okay. She, okay. Neutral. I'm good with neutral. Yeah. Okay. You're very intrigued by things labeled as controversial. Um, I wouldn't say so. No. But, like what kind? Emily Dickinson isn't that controversial? I don't know. Was it for its time though? Oh, maybe. No. No idea. I don't know that this is well she did do acid oh you're right um so how about baby agree maybe baby agree you would pass along a good opportunity if you thought someone else needed it more oh agree yeah well she's a martyr basically for that family right yeah you struggle with deadlines no nah last question you feel confident that things will work out for you it'll agree okay i mean like even though she knew she was gonna die in like seven days she was very calm about the whole thing yeah like right yeah she passed the torch to franny and she knew that franny would see things through for the family and she was okay with that yeah are we ready to see the results let's see what are jet's results jet is an e n f j t okay I think my mom's an E and FJT, yeah. to be honest. And they are known as the protagonist. Okay. Do you want to read these as I click through them? Sure. So protagonists are inspiring optimists, readily taking action to do what they feel is right. So at the top, this says mind. 88% extroverted and 12% introverted. So extroverted individuals readily enjoy group activities and value social interaction. They tend to be outwardly enthusiastic and express their excitement, which I think jet does totally she is 76 percent intuitive and so that makes her 24 percent observant intuitive individuals are very imaginative open-minded and curious they value originality and focus on hidden meanings and distant possibilities and her feeling is 93 percent that's a lot that's that is a lot very heavy in her feeling and that's just leaves her seven percent for thinking and feeling individuals value emotional expression and sensitivity they place a lot of importance on empathy social harmony and cooperation and she's 64 percent judging which makes her only 36 percent prospecting judging individuals are decisive thorough and highly organized they value clarity predictability and closure preferring structure and planning to spontaneity and yeah we saw this like during those last seven days she was very focused on that closure, on closing out her life, on putting all the pieces into the puzzle to make sure that everything was in place and lined up so her family didn't have to take on the burden of cleaning up her mess when she was gone, you know? Totally. Yep. She made sure everybody was good and that she took care of her own shit. That's right. She's 79% turbulent, so that makes her 21% assertive. Turbulent individuals are self-conscious and sensitive to stress. They feel a sense of urgency in their emotions and tend to be success-driven, perfectionistic, and eager to improve. That's what we are, girl. <laughs> Always eager to improve. Yep. Let's get her results. 
What do we want to dive into as far as her personality? They have like categories for strengths and weaknesses, romantic relationships, friendships, parenthood, career path, workplace habits. I think there's also a little list of like people who also are pr the protagonist. They're also underneath there's a little extra tagline. They are diplomats and social engagers. Protagonists you may know, Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, John Cusack, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lawrence, Sean Connery, Maya Angelou. Daenerys Game Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Elizabeth Bennet, Pride and Prejudice. Underneath it says why? <laughs> Question mark. There you go. Those are some protagonists. Skylar White from Breaking Bad. I haven't I watched like that show. They also include characters, not just like real life figures. Isabel Crowley. <laughs> yeah, this makes sense. It says protagonists, ENFJs, can be intense when it comes to matters of the heart, and they wouldn't have it any other way. People with this personality type rarely settle for anything that falls short of their ideals, and their romantic relationships are no exception. Protagonists want to fall in love with the content of a person's character and the tenor of their soul, not just the way they look from across the room. Wow. I could see that. Like, I could see, like, Jet just being very attached to somebody's soul rather than, like, the visual attraction. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why it was so solid with her and Levi is because their souls were attached, you know, mm -hmm. in that way. Right. It was her soulmate. Yeah. And that's why it was so hard for her to move on after the fact. Like, she treated that like it was a marriage and she was a mm -hmm. grieving widow. Like, it wasn't just a teenage romance or fling or puppy love. Puppy love, right. It was something much deeper for that for her, I think. Mm hmm so it says, although these personalities may come across as outgoing or even a bit flirtatious, few protagonists are satisfied by fleeting attractions. Their standards are high and they know it. In fact, this awareness might give protagonists a deeper appreciation of just how rare and precious it is to feel a real spark with another person, and in turn, just how rare and special it is when that spark grows into the steady flames of true abiding love. Hmm. Yeah. Moving beyond the dating game, when protagonists fall for someone, they tend to fall hard, and they're not coy about it. Protagonists are among the personality types that most readily express how they feel, so they often find themselves making the first move, rather than playing games or waiting for reassurance that the other person feels the same way. She pursued Levi, right? Didn't she? Did she pursue him? I don't remember the origins of their friendship. Right, but I was going back to like thinking that she sent Vincent up to Boston to kind of deliver that letter. Deliver the letter, right? Yeah. Mm. Um. So in the dating world, protagonists' willingness to put themselves out there can be refreshing and more than a little unusual. This, along with the intensity of their passion, is incredibly appealing to many people. That said, because protagonists do so often make the first move, they may encounter their share of rejection as they search for a kindred spirit. Before you keep going, because there, there's there's a lot with all of these sections, but I kind of want to go through the parenthood section because she was never a biological parent, but she was a parent to Sally and Jillian. So I want to just see if what we read here is kind of what you and I discussed earlier about her being the one to verbally discipline and be on top of their shit. Right. So her parenting style. Protagonists, ENFJs, bring all of their gifts to raising children, including their compassion, their resolve, and even their leadership skills, which all three of those, like, she pretty much did that really well. As parents, they are guided by a deep sense of purpose. Specifically, they see it as their mission to help their children grow into their best, kindest, most capable selves. To do this, protagonists strive to create a loving, encouraging, and supportive home life for their children. Parents with this personality type promote creativity, 
authenticity, freeing their children to speak their minds and be themselves. For protagonists, one of the greatest rewards of parenthood is watching their children blossom into their unique personalities. And like, they didn't really put many restrictions on those girls growing up. They let them be their most authentic selves and let them do whatever, as long as they weren't like on Isabel's rules, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, do whatever you want. She is also so supportive with them doing their magic and learning mm-hmm. how to be who they are in their blood. That's who you are. And like you said, it's their most authentic. Uh, what's the word? <laughs> authentic. Authentic. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> definitely, I could see that her pushing them, guiding them mm-hmm. to be creative and uh, worldly. Yeah. And if we know that one line when, you know, they're sitting at the table kind of sulking in their own, I guess, misery as an Owens girl or woman, Jet is the one that says, hey, little witch, let's go inside and do some spells. Like when things start to get a little dark, she Mm -hmm. reminds them of their magic and she guides Mm -hmm. them back to their magic. And like, obviously they're grieving too, those little girls, not to distract them from their grief, but just to reiterate, you are magic. Mm -hmm. You are powerful, honey. Right. No matter what you go through, no matter what darkness you go through in this life, just remember all the power and the magic that you have inside of you and don't you forget it and she kind of yeah. always guides them in more in a very loving and empathetic way she kind of always guides them back to that yeah I that's love what that. i love about jet Mm -hmm. life's most important lessons this doesn't mean that protagonists adopt and quote anything goes mindset like all parents these personality types occasionally pull rank and tell their children to do something because i said so (laughs) in their heart of hearts however protagonists want to make sure that their children do the right thing out of understanding not blind obedience like understand why you're doing what you're doing don't just Mm -hmm. you know do it because somebody told you to do it protagonist parents see it as their loving duty to help their children realize their unique potential which we just talked about, knowing that they have that magic within them. And both Sally and Jillian had different kinds of magic. And mm-hmm. she wanted to make sure that they knew that they had different kinds of magic, but they were both just as meaningful all the same. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so these types usually set clear, age-appropriate rules and boundaries so that their children understand the consequences of behavior that's irresponsible or unkind. Protagonist parents behave strictly. However, they do so out of love in an effort to instill in their children strong values and a sense of personal responsibility. And they even did this when Sally and Jillian were adults and the shit hit the fan with the bottle of tequila and like she knew something was going on and she demanded to know right now what's going on. And then when she came back and she was like, you can't practice witchcraft while you look down your nose at it. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. As sweet as Jet is, she's not going to beat around the bush. She's going to let you know what you're doing Mm -hmm. wrong. Fortunately, these idealistic, good-natured parents can explain the difference between right and wrong in ways that uplift and inspire their children. And just as importantly, protagonist personalities teach by example, modeling the kinds of behaviors that they hope their children will emulate. I want to say that I think between Jet and Franny emulating these two different things about being the kind, happy-go-lucky, powerful witch and also being the tough exterior. They're trying to emulate and put that into the girls. You can be both of these things. Mm-hmm. And underneath, I think Franny and Jet are both of these things. But in front of the girls, maybe they feel like they have to be more so one than the other because, you know, having too much of one in the household probably wouldn't work. And they balance each other out and they show the girls that you can be both of these things. Yeah. And they both have all of those qualities, which is I think making do with what they had, like they never had children of their own, right? Mm -hmm. But they were able to kind of be resourceful in the way that they were able to raise these little girls to being strong, independent women with a lot of power that they 
harnessed within themselves. So at times, however, protagonists' expectations may seem overwhelming to their children. Children of protagonist personalities may sometimes feel that they need to earn their parents' love by meeting their standards, standards that might seem impossibly difficult to reach. In these situations, protagonists may need to reassure their children that they are loved for who they are, not what they do. Oh, yeah. Fortunately, protagonist sensitivity helps them appreciate their children's deeper needs, including the need for acceptance. Even as they urge their children to grow and learn and chase their dreams, parents with this personality type can offer a bedrock of emotional support that stays with their children for all their lives. And whatever their children need in order to thrive, protagonist parents dedicate the time and energy necessary to provide it. I think Jet tried to provide all of those things. Yeah, I think they were both good mothers. They both were. Yeah, Jet was like a little more the creative one and Mm -hmm. kind of like nurturing that creative aspect of them, I think. So as they mature, protagonist children rarely lose sight of the genuine warmth, care, love, and encouragement that they receive from their parents. These children tend to grow up with a deep appreciation for lessons that have been woven into the fabric of their character, including honesty, empathy, accountability, and the vital importance of doing the right thing. I feel that. Yeah, I definitely, I think my mom is this ENFJT. Yeah. All of that rings home, rings true, plus she's a Capricorn. So okay. it's just, you know, she always instilled in us like to be creative and dance and play music and art and theater and life. She was our librarian, like oh my God. all of that stuff. But she was tough nuts. Yeah. Like, yeah, she could she could be tough nuts. There is a whole write up. I'm sure there's much more information on ENFJTs, but that's our beloved R.I.P. Aunt Jet. Yeah, we can include this in our show notes if you guys want to read a little bit more about Jet's personality type and create some kind of report, PDF, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, I guess. But I copy the link to our show notes and then it will be under the Myers Briggs. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that works. Sounds good. I really liked learning about Jet. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think she gets enough credit. Yeah. She's she's, under the radar. Right, because she's sweet and appears to be quiet, but I didn't even realize, like you said, she's the one that initiates all the conversations that need to be had, right? I feel like her in my marriage. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, like we need to talk about this now. The way my husband talks with his family on the phone is so freaking awkward. Oh my God. And they're like, they're like, like, hey, Aaron, how you doing? He's like, I'm good. And I'm like, ask them how they're doing. I'm not kidding. Like, coach him how their day was. I think I think men just don't know how to verbalize. They don't know how to communicate their feelings, their needs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, dude, talk to me. Just talk. I just think it was funny. Yeah. Jet's wonderful and we hope to explore more of her. I'm sure there will be many more revelations oh, in the sure. foreseeable future. Our next uh, character analysis we have coming up. Is it Jimmy? It is Jimmy in October. Actually, sorry, September 29th, okay. episode 48. There you go. Oh my God. Yeah, we're plugging along here. That one? What do you think about having a little tequila that night? Having a little margarita on the side? Not opposed. Donna. We have to pregame for our actual midnight margarita night. Yeah, in- we do. Yeah, we'll have to uh, exercise our livers. Liver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Close to work. All right. Well, if you guys want to find us, we are on Instagram, Magnolia Street Podcast. You can send us an email at magnoliastreetpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support our podcast, 
so that we can give back to you, our listeners, in some way, shape, or form. Go visit patreon.com slash Magnolia Street Podcast, and Justina's going to tell you all about those tiers. Yeah, so for as little as $1 a month, you can get in on all of our Patreon-only polls where you can help us decide what we want to talk about next on the show. Christina also makes these beautiful monthly calendars so you guys can see what's coming up for the month because we don't post in advance like too much about what we're working on for the month. So if you want in on that, if you want to be in the know sooner than everybody else, get in on that $1 tier. And then also on the $1, you get a Patreon shout out. So if you become a patron for as little as $1, you're going to hear your name on one of the upcoming episodes. That's right. Yeah. For $3 a month, you can get our show notes and all of the stuff that we talk about on our episodes. We wrap it up in a nice little beautiful aesthetically pleasing pdf so you can print that out add it to your own grimoires or working book of shadows it's just a nice little something to have if you want to elaborate or deep dive on any of the stuff that we've talked about on your own we also check out our hero page because we organize all of our source links over there it's just a really cool way to keep all of our sources archived and in order even youtube videos and spotify playlists you've color coordinated it and put it into categories and also when we have special guest interviews, we like to give them a whole little page over there on our hero source page. So you can go deep dive on them too and learn all about them and love them just like we do. Yeah, I'm loving that hero page over there. So shout out to Mears, one of our patrons who is actually the creator of this hero app doing a wonderful job. And we just love this app or we're loving it. I used it not just for this, but I've used it for personal stuff, um, collecting all of my grandfather's information. It was a way, you know, when he passed, I was able to get videos of him, photos of him, interviews views, the book we wrote together and put it all the links on this hero page and then send that one link to the whole family. Oh, that's great. To to access everything that they needed. Awesome. Yeah. So you guys, if you want to start your own hero page for anything like that, just keeping your own like family stuff archived and it's just a really (laughs) cool little thing to to have at your disposal. So definitely check out hero, not just to check out our source links, but to explore it if you want to use it for your own personal use too. Next up, we have the $5 tier, which gets you access to our private Facebook community as well as our discord and that's where we run all of our monthly lives our watch parties and it's just a really cool way to get to know other magnolia street audience members our listeners and just talk about more practical magic over there we have threads for so many different topics and conversations points of discussion and it's just been a lot of fun to chat about extra things over there in the discord some of them are off the wall some of them are a little bananas (laughs) yeah yeah then we have our eight dollar tier and that's where you can find all of our extra audio visual bonus content. We just started doing our one visual podcast episode a month. We're starting off with that, seeing how that goes. If you guys really are into that, maybe we'll do more. We're just testing the waters on that right now. tell us if you like it. So the Magnolias episode and the Roses episode are now over under that $8 tier. You get a special little private link to our YouTube. And that Rose episode was like three and a half hours. Oh my God. If you want to look at us, be bonkers for three and a half hours, that's for you. Yeah. And then also all of our song episode material is over there on the $8 tier. We upload the song in its entirety. Also more visual performances. If you want to see me play the song in its entirety, lyric sheets, guitar chords. If you want to play the song, if you play your guitar, you could try your hand at it. I include those over there as well, as well as a little more uh, blog and behind the scenes kind 
kind of content when it comes to the song episodes. It's just been really cool to dump everything over there once we're done with the song episodes and like older demos too that like I've had stored on my phone since like oh, nice. we wrote these songs. Wow. So it's just it's like clearing nice... out the pipes for you or you're putting it on like your external basically over basically. on the Patreon. It's all getting dumped over there. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in all that like backlogged bonus content, $8 tier is for you. And then the $15 tier is our big one. Uh, that's our Wisteria Vine tier and you get access to our Marco Polo app. And that just enables us to shoot each other little hey how you doing messages throughout the day, throughout the week. We see each other's gardens or each other's pets. It's just a really cool casual um, personal more intimate kind of setting. There's a few of us on there right now but it's been a lot of fun right? It's awesome and that $15 tier you know the higher the tier you go the more benefits you get. You get everything in those lower ranging tiers as well as the stuff in the higher tiers and those $15 patrons like I said last time usually get a little insight a little tidbit on what we're doing way ahead of everybody else and we ask them for their opinion on decisions we've been making so you have a hand in this show right um so come and hang out with us over on our Wisteria Vine. Yeah, I think that's all we have as far as the Patreon goes. If you listen to us on Spotify, don't forget to give us a star rating. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate a written review. So that helps bump us up in the algorithm so we can reach more practical magic loving fans just like you. So that would be great. And any kind of shares on social media, on Instagram. <laughs> I just choked And she's tapped spit. out. I'm done. I'm done for that. Um, Please yeah. reach out to us however is convenient. We love reading your messages and we love sharing them with the rest of the Practical Magic block party that is Magnolia Street. We have merch. We got merch. If you want a t-shirt, if you want a mug, if you want something cool that says it's all connected or coffin cutter or uh, what was the other one? The rabbit one? We got the Lost Souls Club, which I have the hoodie, the black hoodie, zip up hoodie and the tank top. And it looks real cool. So we've got the cool. Lost Souls Club, which is the triple hair symbol. It's very kind of Celtic looking. We are also coming out with a season one t-shirt. And poster. And poster. Just for you. You guys probably already saw the, the poster release. We're going to get that out to you as soon as possible. Yeah. But that poster, I'm like... It's beautiful. Look at that thing. Yeah. I can't wait to order one and hang it. I have a spot right here on my wall. Get it. Get on it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. So if you guys come to our event in Salem, October 13th, we will have those t-shirts and posters available for pre-order if you want to order them and then bring them to the event with you. I think that's how we're going to do it, right? Yeah. I think we really should do like the high school last day of high school where everybody signs your like oh, t-shirt. That'd be Like fun. you wear your Magnolia Street t-shirt and bring a Sharpie or we'll provide Sharpies. Oh, glitter Sharpie uh -huh. or like glow in the dark Sharpie and yeah. everybody sign everybody's shirt. That'd be fun. Cute. I'm excited. All right. All right. I think that's all we have for you guys today. You can find us here next week. New episode every Friday. I'm Justina. <laughs> Sometimes. No. I'm Christina. I'm Justina. And we'll see you, see you next, next time. time. At that house down the street. At that house on Magnolia Street. Would you go down to Magnolia Street with the Wisteria Girl? We'll see you next time. That was really low. <laughs> Why can't I even go that low? I almost did. I almost cut out. <laughs> I'm so low. <laughs>
Let me go feed these cats.